following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. This is this is Monica, and I want to welcome you to another afternoon radio theater Sunday, S U N D A E, like an ice cream Sunday. And um, y'all know that uh, kind of what I do. If you've been regular listeners as I go along, it's kind of like I build up my imaginary Sunday. And then the last program that I put on it is, um, uh, I mean, the, yeah, it's it's my strawberry and whipped cream. Now, I know most people like to do a cherry and whipped cream, uh, but not me. But anyway, you fix up your imaginary Sunday or your real Sunday, however you like to do it. And uh, just as long as you listen, we don't care what you do. <laughs> We want you to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. I said Instagram. I'm not sure. I don't think we're doing Instagram, but Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, like us. Hit your notification bell. If you don't like either one of those options, you can find us on your favorite podcast player and speaking of podcasts on March 1st um, each show is going to have its own podcast in in other words you won't have to subscribe to uh, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway to get podcasts that you may not uh, to listen to podcasts that you may not uh, necessarily listen to all the time so you can just pick out whichever one you like and subscribe to it. And uh, of course, we'd be tickled if you subscribe to all of them. But you know, that this way it'll make it nicer for you. And at the end, I will give you contact information. So. Uh, I'm gonna do doctor shows this week and um, I think I picked out some good ones for you and uh, the first one that I'm going to do it's uh, Dr. Kildare and it's Rico Marciano's dying wife boy I've had to wrap my tongue around that one a few times to say it and it it was sad. If you like tear jerkers, I think you'll find this one to be appropriate. <laughs> In fact, I wanted some tears and I couldn't bring them up. But anyway, that's just me. <laughs> so you guys enjoy this one. The story of Dr. Kildare. Whatsoever house I enter, there will I go for the benefit of the stick. 
whatsoever things I see or hear concerning the life of men, I will keep silence thereon, counting such things to be held as sacred trusts. I will exercise my art solely for the cure of my... The story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer brought you those famous motion pictures. Now this exciting, heartwarming series is heard on radio. In just a moment, the story of Dr. Kildare. But first, your announcer. Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Blair General Hospital, one of the great citadels of American medicine. A clump of gray-white buildings planted deep in the heart of New York, the nerve center of medical progress, where great minds and skilled hands wage man's everlasting battle against death and disease. Blair General Hospital, where life begins, where life ends, where life goes on. Dr. Dr. Gillespie. Well, Parker, what do you want? Sally just called, Dr. Gillespie. (laughs) Remarkable. You've got to get out of here and hide. From Sally? Well, Dr. Gillespie, what's been going on? Uh, Well, well, she said a man came in the lobby and he has a machine gun and a violin case and a sack full of money and she couldn't stop it. Oh, it's too late. He's here. Is nobody here? In here. Come on in. Oh, I beg your pardon, please. I'm Enrico Marziano, and I look for Dottore Gillespie. Well, you found him. Uh, uh, put your violin case over there. Have a seat. Oh, tante grazie, grazie, grazie. I plan for a long time to come and see you, Dottore, but I need eight months to work and to save so I can bring this to you. What is it, Mr. Marziano? It's a donar. Money. Penny, nickel, dime, everything. <laughs> well, gestures of this kind are always appreciated. Uh, well, what's it for? It's uh, for my wife, Carmen. She's uh, very sick. And I un dolore. <laughs> Each week, the pain gets worse. But all the time, while I save the money, I think, when we go to the great doctor, he will fix. I hear the people talk about you, senor, and so we are here. Well, you are, at least. Where's your wife? Oh, she's away down the stairs in the big room where we come in. She's a very sick, senor. All right, Mr. Marziano. I'll examine her and see what we can do. Oh, mille grazie, senor. Mille grazie. Oh, by the way, Mr. Marziano, what's in the case over there? The ca- oh, that's my violin. I make a living by playing for the people in the street. A violin? Uh, well, I didn't know. I mean, Sally said that naturally I, I thought I'd better go arrange a room for Mrs. Marciano. Well, Dr. Gillespie, that's that. All this laboratory report does is confirm what we've thought for four days. 
It's a shame. Ah, why do people do it, Jimmy? With all the publicity cancer's had, why do they still put off going to the doctor until it's too late? Well, in this case, Marciano apparently thought he had to save up the money first. Ah, money. If she'd been brought here eight months ago, we might have had a chance. But now, the money. I know. But no. we can't tell Rico that. No, no. No, no. He's crazy no. about Carmen, and he thought he was doing the right thing. But can't tell him he should have brought her in eight months ago. Oh, of course not. No, no. But we, we do have to tell him that his wife's going to die. Yes. Well, he'll be here any minute. How long do you think she has, Doctor? Well, you saw those x-rays. I'd say a week, or maybe two weeks. And that's about what I'd estimate. Huh? And we can't do a thing. Dr. Gillespie, Mr. Huh? Marciano's here to see you. All right, Parker. Send him in. Well, now, Mr. Marciano. Oh, grazie, grazie. Buongiorno, signore. Good morning, Rico. Oh, it's a fine day outside, the signore. The sun is shining, everything is bright, just like a spring. <laughs> well, maybe today you find what's the matter with my Carmen, no? Rico, you'd uh, you'd better have a seat. Uh, some something is wrong, Doctor Kildare. You you tell me, no? Rico, I um, uh, you've heard of cancer? Well, see, is that what's wrong with my calm? Yeah, but you will fix. You make everything okay for her, no? Rico. We can't fix. There's nothing we can do. Now, everybody say you take a Carmen to this Blair Hospital and, and nothing to worry about. They, they fix everything fine. Oh, I only wish we could, Rico. But uh, this is one of the times we can't. Signore, I walk in here happy just like the bird. It's a beautiful day, and I say, today my Carmen is maybe get well again. But now, the sun will shine, and I feel just like a dead man. I know. We understand. Would you like to go on up and see your wife now? No. Grazie, no, no. Because she look at my face and see the heart inside of me is dead. And then she asks, Rico, why this look? No, senor. First, I... I go sit in the park. I... I come back a little while. Arrivederci. Ah, confounded. Confounded tarnation. Marciano. Oh, Dr. Kildare, buongiorno. How do you feel? Oh, it's not too bad. This morning, I'm not thinking I'm alive here in bed. For one hour, I'm living in a place so far away. Where is that? It's in Italia, in Napoli. I must think it's a long time ago. When I'm a young girl again. 
And that wasn't so long ago. Ah, you'll make polite to say so. But I have a son who's a go to college, Dr. Kilder. Why, I didn't know you had a son. Rico didn't say anything about it. Well, they'll no get along so good. Oh, my Tony is a look just like a Rico did when we were young together. So handsome. Mm. Were you born in Naples? Si, senor. In the little house by the bay. And in the night when the moon is shining, Rico is a come and we walk on the road by the sea. And he's a play for me on the violin. It's so sweet. Always he's so good to me. He's make a good life for us for many years. Uh, I'm not sorry for anything. Not even if I'm gonna die, Dr. Kilodeira, I'm not sorry. Oh, now, what makes you think you're going to die? Uh, you try to fool me. I'm gonna think maybe Rico tell you to, huh? But I know. I'm gonna feel it inside. Is it true? No? Yes. Yes, it's true. No feel a bad thing, I'm no afraid. It's only I, I feel so unhappy when I'm a think of Rico all alone. There'll still be Tony, your son. Maybe this will bring the two of them closer together. I don't think so. No, you, you see, Tony's a move away. You know, come home for two years. He's a thing we are. How he said, old fashioned, old country. He's right, of course. But he should no be ashamed of his papa. Rico is a wonderful man. He's a great man. You want to know something, Mrs. Marciano? I think you're both great people. Jimmy, probably one of the hardest things a doctor has to learn is to keep his emotions separated from his profession. I know. Most of the time, I think I have learned this. But something about this couple hits me. It's hard. Yeah, they're fine people, both of them. With a rare courage and a tenderness for each other. And, and faith in life. They're a remarkable pair. And yet we can't save our life. No, we can't. Well, I've thought of a few things we might do, though. Small things, I guess, but better than just standing by doing nothing. Good. For instance, I've had Carmen moved into the best room in the hospital, one of the regent suites. I build the charges against the general fund. Excellent idea, Jimmy. I wish I'd thought of it. Well, there is one thing I was hoping you'd do. Well, come me in. Dr. Glassie, I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, what is it, Big Ears? Well, Dr. Carew is here. He'd like to see Dr. Kildare. Oh, well, send him in, Parker. Good afternoon, gentlemen. It was. Dr. Kildare, I have been informed that you made a very irregular charge to the general fund. Oh, most irregular indeed. I suppose you mean Mrs. Marziano's room, Dr. Carew. Quite so, and it simply can't be done, you know. It's been done already. I think the fund can stand it this one time. It's entirely out of the question. Oh, don't think I have it my humanitarian side, too, but this hospital must be kept on a strict 
business like this is, and I'm sure... I am amazed that the name Marziano doesn't mean anything to a great lover of music like you. Well, I suppose I, I, I do know a... Marziano? Huh? At the moment, it seems to... Uh, oh, you must remember the famous modern opera, La, La Burrasca? The one the grand prize at the Paris Festival in 1924, as I recall. Huh? Oh, yes. <clears throat> yes, indeed. <laughs> I'd uh, forgotten for the moment. Yeah. Kildare and I were sure you'd want the wife of a famous composer like that to have the best, regardless of course. You're you're quite right, Doctor Gillespie. Yes. I, I I didn't realize that this man was so fit uh, that uh, yes. <laughs> that this was the same Marziano. I mean, yes. well, gentlemen, if you'll excuse me, I have a great many things to do. <laughs> La Burrasca. You know, <laughs> it'd be remarkable if there really was an opera by that name. Well, Jimmy, let's go to work. <laughs> Return to the story of Dr. Kildare in just a moment. Dr. Gillespie was calling him. Just a second. The commissioner's on the line now, Dr. Gillespie. Oh, good, 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 good. Here, hand me that phone. Hello? Hello, Tom. Leonard Gillespie. Oh, fine, fine, thanks. Feeling younger every day. <laughs> How are those ulcers of yours? Glad to hear it. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to drum up business, Tom. <laughs> but I would like a small favor from you. I don't know whether you recall a violin player named Rico Marziano. Plays in the streets around town. All right, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. There's another one, Parker. You can count him in, too. Well, we've almost covered the list, Dr. Gillespie. Yeah, 32 promises and a pretty fair list of names, too. Mm, yeah. Well, I can't think of anybody I've missed. I hope Kildare's making out all right. Well, he should be over there by now. Women took him at least 20 minutes ago. And ah, Parker, you idiot. What? You nearly let me forget the most important one of all. I let you. Well, how should shut I... Shut up now. You... Shut up and don't start another argument. Just get on that phone and put a call through to the office of the mayor. Just a second. Yes? 
Are you Tony Marziano? Why, yes. My name is Kildare. I'm a doctor on the staff at Blair General Hospital. And you mind if I come in? Well, I... Thanks. You don't have me mixed up with somebody else, do you? No, I don't think so. You're a law student here, and you're Rico Marziano's son, aren't you? Yes, but did my father send you here? No, neither of them knew I was coming. Tony, your mother's in the hospital, seriously ill. Mama? What's wrong with her? Cancer. It was all my fault. I had no reason to leave them, but I was mixed up and I didn't... I know. You grew up in this country and you wanted to look and act like everybody around you. They had their own ways and maybe people even laughed at them sometimes. That's it. Mostly it was Dad going around the streets with his violin, picking up coins... Raising a son by doing it. Holding the love and admiration of a pretty, wonderful woman. I know that. I knew it a week after I left, but I... I couldn't go back. Pride, I guess I... Doctor, about money for treatments. Now, I'm working part-time outside of class hours, so I can no, help... No, no, no. It isn't money your mother needs. It's to see you and Rico friends again. I don't know. Dad's got a lot of pride himself. He, he may not be willing to forget. Like to bet? I just hope he will, that's all. Oh, there's one thing, Tony. I said your mother was seriously ill. She is. In fact, she has only a few days to live. I'll get my coat, Dr. Kildare. I tell you again, I can't understand. Understand what, Rico? Well, look at this room, all filled up with the flowers. Everybody's sending of flowers and, and, and a telegram. Look, look at this one. It says, my sincere wishes for a speedy recovery for your, your lovely wife, your friend, Commissioner Tomas Avaril. But this man, I know see in my life. But that doesn't make no difference. He see you. It's just like I tell him, Dr. Gillespie. My Rico is a great man, but he nothing so. Madre Dio. Mama, still, I can understand. Who is it? Only one way to find out. Come in. Oh, Gilbert. Hello, everybody. Uh, mind if I bring in a visitor? Hello, Mama. Papa. <laughs> How are you, Mama? Before I had the heart froze with ice, but now you are come. I must start talk like the river at Napoli in the springtime. Tony, you speak with your father. You be friends, huh? Antonio. I can't find no, no words to say. Papa, I'm sorry. Sorry? But for what are you sorry? I, I said things I, I didn't mean. Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. It's no matter now. What you say one time make me shame that, that I'm a nobody. And I, I can't forgive you. But now it's a different. Look, my boy, look, this is a telegram. It's from a big people who call me their friend. Look, come on, you read. Read with me. This one is from the commissioner. Uh, the last speaking. You don't say so, Carew. Well, may maybe you don't have the right spelling of the name. 
All right, all right, all right. Meet me in my office in three minutes. I've got some telegrams I want to show you. Goodbye. What's the matter? Has Carew finally caught on? Pipsqueak. He's coming up for air for the third time. You stay here, Jimmy. I'll shove his head underwater again. There is simply no use whatsoever in hunting through any more reference books, Dr. Gillespie. There is no Italian composer named Enrico Marziano. You hoodwink me. Hoodwink you? This man is just a street violinist, a mendicant. And you've kept his wife in that room under false pretenses. You and Kildare, between you, have deliberately... Carol! Shut up. Uh, I beg your pardon. Here. Take a look at these telegrams. Well, I can hardly see what telegrams could have to do... do uh, why, this one is from the mayor. Go on, read them. All of them. Well, I had no idea this man had so many influential friends. I believe we can stretch a point and forget about... Carol! You're a fool. Dr. Gillespie. Good night. He's a fine thing you do for us, the Dr. Kildare. You and the Dr. Gillespie. We didn't do anything. Oh, this nice room, all these flowers, so lovely. And this telegram, they make my Rico feel big and strong again. But it's best of all, you bring my Tony back for be friends with his papa. It didn't take very much bringing. He was just mixed up. Too proud to admit it. Still is good thing. Now Rico is... Listen. Is my Rico playing the violin? Yes. I guess he must be down below there in the street. Would you like the window open? No. No, I'm here. It's fine. Everything's so strange. It's like a long time ago... He's a play the same song in Napoli. I'm a feel like a young girl. And it's a springtime by the sea. It's a warm. And I'm a walk on the road with Rico. Happy like a bird. Dr. Kildare, you... You tell Rico. I'm like... The song very much. Yes, I'll tell him. So long a time. So good a life. Oh, Rico, me. Rico. Come in, Dr. Gillespie. Uh, Parker said the Marzianos were leaving early, so I wondered if... Oh, when, Jimmy? Just now. Oh, that's too bad. That, that's Rico out there, huh? Yes. 
But I don't think he's really out there at all. I think he's on a road near Naples in the moonlight, serenading a beautiful young girl a long time ago. Just a moment, we will return to the story of Dr. Kildare. Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. What a session that was. What's the matter, Jimmy? Tough case this morning? Yeah, obstetrical. Turned out okay. Seven pounds, four ounces. Mother and son getting along nicely. Why do we do it, Dr. Gillespie? Why do we do what? Become doctors. Well? Last night, Carmen Marciano died. This morning, I deliver a new baby. Score, one to one. So what's it all add up to? Life. And death. Well, they're both counterparts of the same thing. What is that same thing? Well, now, the Society for Dealing with Profound Questions is now in session. Dr. Kildare has just asked what is the same thing. Dr. Kildare is a brilliant young physician and surgeon who was occasionally troubled by a hole in his head. And at such times, he thinks he doesn't want to be a doctor. All right, all right. The witness withdraws the question. Maybe I am tired. Last night hit me pretty hard, but when you come right down to it, I guess if I couldn't be a doctor, I wouldn't want to be anything else in this world. You have just heard the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. Dr. Kildare is presented by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Malaya, starring Spencer Tracy, James Stewart, Valentina Corteza, Sidney Greenstreet, and John Hodiak. This program was written by Les Crutchfield and directed by William P. Russo. Original music composed and conducted by Walter Schumann. Supporting cast included Virginia Gregg, Jay Novello, Ted Osborne, Peggy Weber, and Peter Leeds. Dick Joy speaking. It's Pepsi Mama back with you, and um, that's a nickname that I got a long, long time ago, and I've kind of stuck with it. I like it, but yeah, um, 
since that time, I've become the coffee gal, too. So whichever you like, or just plain old Monica will do, or Monty, or whatever you feel like calling me. But anyhow, uh, I hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, this next one is called Dr. Christian. And Dr. Christian, he's just kind of a good old country doctor. And um, as... Well, Dr. Kildare, he he kind of had the personality of a country doctor in a way, but yet he was, I always thought of him as more of a city doctor. And uh, and I remember when, when I was a little bitty girl, three years old, we used to watch Dr. Kildare. My grandfather watched him every week. And um, I, <laughs> but I loved it then. And uh I didn't know for a long time that it had been a radio show, but I was sure glad to find it. Of course, I've known it for a long time now, but I didn't then. And um, so this one is called, uh, it's Dr. Christian, it's called Bad Case of Quarantine. From Hollywood, California, we present Gene Herschel in another Dr. Christian story called A Bad Case of Quarantine. Brought to you by the Cheesebro Manufacturing Company, owners of the trademark Vaseline, and producers of Vaseline Petroleum Jelly for first aid, Vaseline Hair Tonic for the care of the scalp and hair, and other Vaseline specialties. Would you like to see the New York World's Fair this summer without it costing you a penny? Or would you rather see the San Francisco Fair? Well, just listen to this. One hundred first-class trips to either World's Fair will be given away in one of the easiest-to-enter contests you ever heard of. Yes, a free round trip to whichever World's Fair you'd rather see, and $150 cash for spending money besides. That's first prize in this contest. And remember, there are 100 first prizes. To make doubly sure that everyone has a good chance, there are 5,000 valuable second prizes, too. So listen for the simple rules at the end of the program. Tonight's play is called A Bad Case of Quarantine. The opening scene takes place in the Robinson home on the night of the annual spring dance at the high school. And so, as the curtain rises, we find Dr. Christian looking very handsome in his dinner clothes, talking to nine-year-old Patsy Robinson in her room. I wish I could stay up for dinner, Dr. Christian. If you're going to be here, I'd like to come to the table. Mm, I know you would, but I really think it's best for you to go to bed early. I miss everything. I'll be glad when I'm grown up. Bud's going to the high school dance tonight. So I hear. I'll bet you didn't know he's wearing a brand new tuxedo. Really? Yes. It's the first time he's ever had any evening clothes. He's worse than a girl. <laughs> <laughs> he's been trying them on in front of the mirror for weeks. Oh, men are vain creatures, Patsy. He looks awful nice in them. But I wouldn't tell him so. Mary Lee will do that. Mary Lee? Mary Lee Hamlin. You know her. Oh, yes, of course. The little Hamlin girl. Little girl? She's almost 16. Really? I didn't realize. Yes. She's all grown up. I know what she's going to wear tonight, too. It's black velvet 
with white curtains. Mm, it sounds as they should make a very attractive couple. They'll look swell. I think Bud's awfully good looking. The way his hair waves. He pretends to get awful mad when I say that. But I don't believe he is, really. Well, I'm glad he's going to the dance. I'll tell you all about it when I stop in tomorrow. Tell me about it. Are you going to? Yes. Yes, we're giving out mid-year awards, and I'm on the Board of Education. So I'll have to get there later in the evening. But I'll report to you how everything goes. Oh, that'll be wonderful. Mm -hmm. Now, snuggle down. Your tray will be here any minute. Oh, and there's something special on it. From me to you. A surprise? Mm-hmm. A surprise. To the best measles patient I ever had. Is it chocolate ice cream? Now, how did you guess? Because I like that most in all the world. And you know it. It's because you've been the most wonderful and good little girl about going to bed early. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Christian. Gee, you're swell. Uh, good night. I'll see you tomorrow and tell you all about the dance. Nice. Oh, here's Dr. Christian now. We're just ready to sit down. How are you, Paul? Glad you go to stand and have dinner with us. Oh, Dr. Christian. Good evening, everybody. Dr. Christian, this is Lester Lair, Bud's cousin. He arrived this afternoon to spend a few weeks with us. How do you do, Dr. Christian? I'm glad to meet you, Lester. Well, you just missed the measles quarantine, didn't you? Oh, I've had the measles. Oh, I see. It's going to be a very formal location tonight. Formal? Oh, you mean Bud's dinner clothes. Yes, why, you look quite a man of the world, Bud. Our mm. fellow's going to have something to hang on his frame. You seem to have managed it very well. <laughs> Where's your home, Mr. Lair? I'm from New York. I'm so afraid Les is going to be bored here in River's End. Bud's crowd is so much younger oh, than Oh, don't worry here. about me, Aunt Molly. I shall amuse myself. Oh, aren't you going to the dance, too? Uh, no, Bud asked me, but, uh, well, it, it seemed a little juvenile. Bud, what's the matter, dear? Your face is so flushed. I don't know. I... Don't you feel well? Oh, I don't feel so good. My eyes are all watery. Maybe I got a cold coming on. You think so, Dr. Christian? Mm, come over here to the light and let me look at you. Oh, no, no, please, Dr. Christian. I'll be all right. Honest, I will. I just got to go to the dance. Come on, boy. Hmm. Let's look at your mouth. Mm-hmm. Now at your throat. Say, ah. Uh... Ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Well, let me look at your forehead. But, Dr. Christian... Uh-huh. Just what I was afraid of. What is it, Dr. Christian? It's... Uh... I know, I know. You needn't say it. It's that darn kid. It's Patsy. She's giving me the measles. I'm afraid she has, Bud. Measles? Then, Bud, you go right straight to bed. Bed? I've got to go to the dance. You'll go to no dance tonight, young man. But I've got to. I promised Marilyn Lee. She's got my a new dress and my flowers and everything. I've got to go. You can't do it, boy. But I feel all right. You don't, but that wouldn't help, even if you did. Measles are contagious. You are under quarantine. Well, what am I going to do, Marilee? Say, uh, who is this Marilee number? Why, she's Marilee Hamlin, the girl that Bud goes with. Pretty? Oh, she's very pretty. A uh, good dancer? Why, well, I wouldn't know. Is she a good dancer, Bud? She'll get by. I won't get stuck with her, will I? You? Oh, yes, I thought I might take her to the dance in your place. I've had the measles. I can go and stay at a hotel or somewhere while you're in quarantine. Well, now, Les, that's awfully nice of you. Yeah, just ducky. Perhaps that would be a solution. He doesn't need a bother. You mean you'd rather have this girl stay at home, son? Well, she's my girl. Don't worry. I'm not going to steal her. 
Just a favor to a cousin. Well, I think it's really a very nice solution. Well, where does she live? Well, I'll give you the address, and I'll call up her mother and explain everything. Now, you needn't worry a bit, bud. Oh, no. What does she think of me? Well, when she knows that you have the measles, she won't expect Measles? It. Of all the full kid diseases... Mother, can't you tell her I've got something else? Well, I don't see how very well, Run but... along, youngster. I'm taking over as soon as I finish dinner. Oh, gee, Dr. Christian, couldn't I? I'm afraid not, Bud. Now, you go to bed right away, Bud. I'll fix you some nice milk toast. Yes, and... I'll go to bed eventually. Right now, I'm going in and tell Patsy Robinson exactly what I think of her. Of all the dirty tricks. To give the measles to a grown man. <laughs> Dr. Christian, I'm so glad you've come. The committee's been looking for you to make the award. I'll get all the certificates for you. Thank you, Judy. Well, quite a crowd we have here tonight. <laughs> oh, you know how the high school dances are? The boys and girls take them so seriously. <laughs> I'll wager there isn't a girl in high school who didn't get a new dress for this. And have you noticed the tuxedos? <laughs> Popping up like dandelions in the spring, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> the boys look nice in them, though. I suppose nothing in the world makes a boy feel more important than his first dinner coat. No. Oh, and I see that we have one young gentleman in white tied tails. Oh, oh, that isn't one of our boys. He's Bud Robinson's cousin. Bud couldn't come. And yes, so... I know. I met the young man earlier in the evening. He's completely turned Merrily Hamlin's head. They've been dancing together all evening. So? Well, I thought Merrily was Bud's girl. Oh, you know how fickle girls are at that age. Here they come now. Oh, will you stay right here, Dr. Christian? I'll get the awards and mm -hmm. be right back. All right. Hello, Dr. Christian. Good evening, Dr. Christian. Hello, Mary Lee. I see you're taking good care of this young lady, Les. The very best. Oh, he's been wonderful. He's marvelous to dance with. And how did you leave your patient, Dr. Christian? Patsy? Oh, she was asleep long ago. Well, I didn't mean Patsy. I meant Bud. Wasn't it just too quaint of Bud to get the measles? The poor darling. Well, you can't exactly blame him for it. Oh, I suppose not. But it sounds so silly. Of course, it's always better if a fellow gets over those childhood diseases before he starts to go around. Well, now, I don't think there's anything so disgraceful about getting the measles. Oh, of course not. Bud's an awfully nice child, Dr. Christian. I see. Only, well, I don't know what I would have done if it hadn't been for less. Everybody in town had asked a girl to a dance weeks ago. I'd have just had to stay home, I guess. Well, Les was right here, ready for the rescue. Come on, Marilee, I'll show you another new step. Marilee's a wonderful dancer, Dr. Christian. Oh, Les. You know, it's too bad to take advantage of an invalid, Dr. Christian, but you'd better warn your patient that I'm stealing his girl. Dr. Christian in? Oh, he's just getting ready to leave, Patsy. But I'm sure he'll see you. How are the measles? They're all gone. And the man from the Board of Health came today and took the sign off the house. Oh, good. But Mother won't let either of us go back to school till Dr. Christian sees us. Uh, well, then you'd better get in there in a hurry and let him look at you. There's a patient who wants to be discharged, Dr. Christian. Oh, hello, Patsy. Glad to see you. Sit down. Hello, Dr. Christian. Mother wants Yes, to... I know. I talked to her on the phone. <laughs> Patsy doesn't look much like an invalid, does she, Judy? I should say <laughs> not. How do you feel, dear? I feel all right. 
But measles are awful tiresome. <laughs> well, they're all over with now. Shall I put these things in your bag, Dr. Christian? Yes, please, Judy, and, and also the list of calls. All right. I'll see you later, Patsy. Bud's coming down to see you, too, after a while. Well, you seem to be fine, Patsy. I think you can start back to school on Monday. Will you like that? I will. Bud doesn't want to go back. No, why not? He's mad at Mary Lee. Oh, he is? Why? Because she's been untrue to him. That's why. <laughs> Dr. Christian, Mary Lee was Bud's girl. Do you think it was fair for her to start going around with less the minute Bud's measles came off? Just as if she didn't care about Bud at all. Well, now, that's pretty difficult to answer, Patsy. Maybe a little of it was Lester's fault. It was probably all his fault, but that doesn't make it any better. It's a mean trick. Dr. Christian, do you know why Lester's visiting us? I know. It's because he got put out of college. He flunked and he came out here to my dad because oh. his folks were in Europe. Dad's trying to fix it up, but nobody knows how long it's going to take. Dr. Christian? Yes, Pat. When Bud sees everybody today and finds out how things really are, he's going to feel terrible. Well, now, dear, I... <laughs> oh, Dr. Christian, he is. I know he is. He had an awful case on Merrily. He's got her class ring and a picture of her up in his room. And... And he sleeps with them under his pillow. <laughs> I found them once when I had to help make the beds and... Patsy, I think you're taking this all too seriously. After all, Les will only be here a little while longer and, uh... Well, did you ever hear of a thing called propinquity? Propinquity? What is it, Dr. Christian? It's being thrown together. Oh, it's responsible for more romances than you'd ever believe. But what's it got to do with Bud? Oh, Mary Lee may be temporarily interested in Les, but... Let him go back home, and in a couple of weeks, why, she'll forget she ever knew him. Maybe, but he's still here in River's End. He's been at the hotel, but he's coming back to our house today. If I could only get rid of him. You see, Dr. Christian, Bud blames me for everything. He won't hardly speak to me anymore. He says it's all my fault that I gave him the measles. <laughs> Why, Patsy, darling, don't cry about it. Now, dear, it isn't such a tragedy as old this. Maybe it isn't, but Bud's a swell. And he looks so grand in that tux. And I didn't mean to give him the measles. Of course you didn't. There, there, now. All right again. Oh, let me see you smile. That's the girl. Hmm. Patsy, I've got to go now. There's an epidemic of mumps down the Primrose Street district. I've got several cases to see before dark. Now, promise me you won't worry anymore. And you tell your mother that I said you were fine. All right. Dr. Christian, what did you say the mumps cases were? Primrose Street. We're on Primrose Street. Not down by the Baileys. Yes, yes, right there. All the Bailey children have got them. I reported the cases today. Dr. Christian, are mumps catching? Oh, yes, yes, very catching. And do you have to be quarantined with them, too? Oh, indeed you do, until all the symptoms are gone. Oh, well, I'll go now. And thank you, Dr. Christian, for everything. 
Hello, Bart. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm all right. I was just on my way down to your office. Yeah, Patsy told me you were coming. Oh, jump in and I'll take you back with me. I've just finished my calls. Thanks. Patsy says the sign is off the house, so I can send your boat back to school Monday. Yeah? Hmm. I suppose you saw all your crowd today? Yeah, I saw them all right. Oh, it must be a relief to be out again, huh? Yeah, sort of. Well, you don't sound very enthusiastic. I thought with the basketball season just underway, you'd be raring to go. I'm not so sure I'll go out for basketball. Not go out for it? Well, now, how will we beat Central without you? Well, there are plenty of others just as good. Why, Bud, you were always so enthusiastic. Yeah, I know. I used to go in for a lot of kid stuff. Kid stuff? Yeah. Athletic school spirit and getting all excited over things. Falling for people. But... <laughs> oh, I'm past all that now. Past it? Yeah. You see, while I was sick, a lot of things happened. I just found out about them today. Gee, I must have been an awful sap. But what's come over you? Nothing's come over me. I've just grown up. I found out what kind of a world it really is. But... <laughs> I used to think blood was thicker than water. I used to think you could trust a woman. That when a girl gave you her class ring to wear, it meant something. Well, I know better now. Oh, but things aren't really as bad as old dad. Oh, don't think I'm going to let it spoil my life, Dr. Christian. I'll still wear my tuxedo and go out to parties. No, maybe dad's going to let me drive the roadster. And there'll be plenty of girls who'll be glad to go out in that, I'll bet. You'll probably be the only one in town who'll know things aren't the same. Oh, I certainly shall respect your secret, Bud, but... Uh... Well, probably I'm weak saying all these things to you. A man's got to talk to somebody and... Well, uh, you're a doctor. You understand about life. Oh, I'll get over it, I know. I'm over it right now. But it's a pretty terrible thing when a man's betrayed by his girl and his own cousin just because he's got the measles. We pause now for a brief intermission in our Dr. Christian program called A Bad Case of Quarantine. Do you know that you stand just as good an opportunity as anyone else to win a free trip to the New York World's Fair or to the one in San Francisco just by telling why you want to go? Yes, and $150 in spending money besides. Or instead of the trip, $250 in cash. There will be 100 such prizes in a new contest which will be explained at the end of this program. And even if you miss out on the first prizes, you still have a swell chance to be one of the 5,000 lucky second prize winners. Don't miss this chance to win a free round trip to the World's Fair. The curtain is rising now on Act Two of our Dr. Christian drama, A Bad Case of Quarantine, starring Jean Hersholt in the role of the good doctor of River's End. Dr. Christian has been called to the Robinson home because little Patsy is sick again. Really, it's just too much. Here they both are just over the measles, only back in school a couple of weeks, and now Patsy's sick again. What is it, Dr. Christian? I'm not just, uh, just sure, Mrs. Robinson. Suppose you go out in the other room for a moment and let me talk to Patsy alone. Of course, if you want me to. Are you all right, Patsy, dear? Yes, Mommy. I'll go in and see if Lester wants anything. You'll see him just as soon as you finish with Patsy, won't you, Dr. Christian? The poor boy is feeling miserable. Yes, I'll see Lester in just a m- few moments. 
Well, Patsy? Yes, Dr. Christian? Don't you think you'd better tell me all about it? About how I feel? I did. My head aches a little, and it hurts when I swallow. You wouldn't have any idea what's the matter, would you? Maybe I'm getting a sore throat. Mm, Maybe you are. Maybe those lumps which are beginning to swell up under your ears are marbles. But I don't think so. Why, Dr. Christian, you don't think I'm going to have the mumps? Mm, If you're not, I'd better stop trying to practice medicine. Patsy, how did you get them? The mumps? Well, you said yourself there was an epidemic. Yes, yes. You haven't been near Primrose Street, have you? Primrose Street? You mean... I mean Primrose Street, Patsy. Well, only for a minute. I just stopped by, just a little while, to take a book to Sue Bailey. I see. Well, that wasn't by any chance the same day you came to my office, was it, Patsy? Why, yes. I believe it was, Dr. Christian. But I told you Sue was quarantined. I only went in just a minute. Mrs. Bailey came and sent me right home. I guess a minute was long enough. Well, is that all you want to tell me? I guess I'll have to stay home from school again, I guess. Yes, and I suppose we'll have to watch Bud. Oh, Bud won't have them. What? I haven't been near him since. I mean, oh, Dr. Christian, don't keep Bud in. That'll spoil the whole thing. Patsy, what do you mean? Well, if Bud shut in, too. Too? Then you have reason to suspect that Les is going to have the mumps? Well, if he isn't, I've kissed him goodnight every night for two weeks for nothing. can't stay but a minute. I just came to tell you that Les is sick in bed and can't take you to the movies tonight. Mother thought I'd better explain. Oh, I'm sorry. What's the matter with him? Oh, I don't know. Dr. Christian's over there now. Patsy's sick, too. Again? The poor kid. Yeah. Well, I guess I better be going. Oh, don't go. Come on in and sit by the fire. I've hardly seen you since... Since I got over the measles. Is that what you mean? Well, yes. Well, you seem to have been busy enough. I suppose going around with a college boy makes us high school fellas seem pretty flat. Well, of course, boys in college are more sophisticated. They show us up, all right. Mother doesn't like me to go with boys in college. She says they're too old for me. Well, she lets you go around with less all the time. Well, that's because you were sick. Yeah. Well, well, that's the reason I went with him myself. Yeah, I'll bet. It was. I thought you'd rather have me going around with your own cousin than anybody else. Honest? Of course. I really have missed you a lot, Bud. I haven't had a passing grade in algebra since you got sick. Oh, what's the matter? Isn't a boy wonder good in algebra? No, but he is a marvelous dancer, Bud. Yeah, so they tell me. Uh, How much longer is he going to be here? A couple more weeks, I guess. Oh. You promised you'd go to the basketball dance with him, didn't you? Well, I guess I might as well be going. Oh, listen, there's somebody in the hall. Is Bud Robinson here, Mrs. Hamlin? Come on, Dr. Christian. Yes, he is, Dr. Christian. I'll call him. Oh, here he is now. How do you do, Dr. Christian? Hello, Dr. Christian. Oh, hello, Bud. Your mother told me I'd find you here. 
I've got some news for you. Bad news? Well, nothing desperate. But your mother has her hands full with all these invalids. Invalids? Yes, so I suggested that you come down and stay with me. You don't want to run a chance of missing school. But but who's sick? Patsy and... Anybody uh, else? Patsy and Lester. Lester? What's he got? He's got the mumps. The mumps? Jiminy Christmas! I bet he looks a sight. Well, we thought it'd be better to keep you away, bud. So your mother is going to send your things down to my house. She'll do going to do no such thing. Now, there's no earthly reason for going all the way down there when he's almost next door to the school. Bud's going to stay right here. Stay here? He can have Jack's room. It's never used while Jack's away at college, and I'll look after him just like his mother would. That's very nice of you, Mrs. Hamlin. I'm sure Mrs. Robinson will appreciate it. How about it, Bud? Well, well, thank you very much for asking me, Dr. Christian, but if Mrs. Hamlin really wants me and Marley doesn't mind... I think it'd be marvelous. You can do all my algebra for me. Well, I'll try. But after all the college competition I've been having, I... Oh, Marley is much too intelligent to be dazzled by a mere college man, but after all, even college men went to high school once. I like high school boys best anyhow. They're not so... so conceited. Do you really mean that? Yes. Uh, Les will have to be in quarantine quite a while, won't he? I'm afraid so. Till... till after the basketball dance? Yes, till after the basketball dance, Mary Lee. Never mind, Mary Lee. I'll take you to the dance. I'm always glad to return a favor. Les did as much for me. Hmm, but he's going to be the star of the team this year. If he stays here, you'll have to see that he goes to practice every day. I'll make him go. I'll go over every afternoon myself and watch. Will you, honest? Of course. And... And you won't mind going to the dance with me? Of course I won't, Bud. I'll love it. Mm. I'll be running along now. Goodbye, Mary Lee. Goodbye, Mrs. Hamlin. Mm, goodbye, Dr. Christian. Goodbye. Dr. Christian, how long will Les have to stay in quarantine? Well, let's see. Until, uh, oh, until about the 28th, I think, Bud. 28th? He's going to leave on the 29th. Dad said so today. Well, that's sure a help. I don't see why you you should feel that way, Bud. Mary Lee seems to think you're the only boy in town. Oh, sure. I always knew Les couldn't cut in on me, really. Only, well, you know how women are, Dr. Christian. Don't let yourself become cynical, Bud. I won't. Well, everything's all right again, thank goodness. Better say thank Patsy. Patsy? You mean... Dr. Christian, did Patsy know she was going to have the mumps... What makes you ask that, Bud? Oh, because she's she acting awful funny. She hasn't let anybody come near her lately except Les. Do you mean she... Oh, gee... Patsy felt very badly because she gave you the measles. She cares a great deal about her big brother, Bud. Enough to... Enough to... Well, gee, can you imagine that? Hey, what can you do for a kid like that? I suggest that you walk down with me as far as Davis Drugstore and place an order. An order for what? Well, there's nothing so soothing to mumps as a big dish of chocolate ice cream. And the curtain descends on another Dr. Christian drama. Gene Hirschhold, our star, and the others of the cast will be here to greet you in person in just a moment. Do you want to win a first-class round trip to the World's Fair, either New York or San Francisco, and $150 in spending money besides? Or instead of the trip, 
$250 in cash? Then listen closely to these simple rules. First, make up your mind which World's Fair you want to see and write a letter beginning as follows. I want to see the World's Fair because... And finish it in 50 words or less. Second, get a carton or wrapper or a tracing of the label from any item which bears the trademark Vaseline, such as Vaseline jelly, Vaseline hair tonic, or any one of the Vaseline products, or one from any Colgate Palmolive toiletry. And close it with your letter and mail to Vaseline Products, 17 State Street, New York City. Did you get that address? 17 State Street, New York City. For your convenience, entry blanks giving full details are available at your druggists or by mail. But your entry on plain paper is perfectly satisfactory. You can enter this contest as many times as you wish, but be sure your entries are in by midnight, May 15th, when the contest closes. Now, think of all the reasons why you want to see a World's Fair this year. Boil your answer down to 50 words and mail your first entry tomorrow. In tonight's play, A Bad Case of Quarantine, you heard several of Hollywood's talented youngsters. Lester J. in the role of Bud, Velma Patsy Berg in the role of Patsy, Richard Quine in the role of Lester Lair, and Lucy Gilman as Marilee Hamlin, and Myra Marsh, Captain William Royal, and Inez Seabury. Rosemary DeCamp was Judy Price, as usual, and Gene Hersholt, our star, played his customary role of Dr. Christian. What sort of play have you selected for next week, Dr. Christian? Well, I'm not going to tell you anything about next week's play, except to say that its title is Little Sweetheart. It's different from any of the stories we've presented in the past, but if you have a spark of romance in you, I know you'll enjoy it very much. Until next Tuesday evening, then, I'll say good night. Don't fail to hear our Dr. Christian drama next Tuesday evening at the same hour. It is called Little Sweetheart and stars Gene Herschel as Dr. Christian with Gloria Holden in the supporting role. The makers of Vaseline products, Mr. Herschel and the other artists on our Dr. Christian program, extend greetings to the Campfire Girls and congratulations on their 27th anniversary, which they're celebrating this week. This is Arthur Gilmore bidding you good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hey, y'all, I'm back again. Uh, Jaws, you need to shut up. I probably <laughs> guys this is the first time that I am recording completely on my own um, so forgive me if I'm just a little bit nervous or if I get a little bit tongue tied <laughs> I apologize but I do enjoy this can't wait to do it again next week but and also it kind of takes a little bit of work off Victor oh so, this next one is adapted from a book by Robert Louis Stevenson called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I love that I've, I've heard two different radio versions of it. And um, the other version that I had that I got from a news group a long time ago, it had one one man doing all the parts, male and female, and 
everything in between. And while he did a good job, I didn't really like it that way. Uh, but this one has how many? I think 52 parts. And I'm going to do four parts of it this week. And um, probably three or four parts every week until I get it done. Just... Um, uh, I think if I do it uh, four a week, though, I think four into 52 is 13 if I'm doing my division right. But um, anyway, watch me be wrong. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, if you're not familiar with him, now this one has uh, men and women both in it. Uh, but... It's about a young man named Henry, um, named Henry Jekyll. And, uh, you know, he's trying to be a good doctor and everything. Uh, and he, you know, he's good to people when he's, uh, Dr. Jekyll. But then his, uh, alter personality comes out and he becomes mean and murderous and, um, so it's just, uh, I'm going to get the book and actually read it. But anyway, um, Victor may merge all these four parts together. I'm not sure. But whatever he does, um, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and I'll be back when it's done. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure and our privilege to present to you tonight George Edwards in a radio version adapted by Betty Rowland of one of the world's great literary masterpieces, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It took the genius of Robert Louis Stevenson to fashion this tale of the dual forces which are forever at war in every human breast, the powers of good and evil that lie dormant in us all. And he has given us a tale so weird, so strange, and yet so filled with the eternal conflict of man's immortal soul that we who hear it stand petrified. Because in the tormented character of this strange fantasy, we see ourselves. Step by step, we will take you along the tortuous path, followed by young Henry Jekyll, fortune's darling, born to great riches, talented and handsome, until we see the final dissolution of this unhappy being who sought to split his soul in twain and assume a separate identity for each side of his dual nature, the one entirely good, the other completely evil. We will begin by looking into the handsome country residence of his father, Edward Jekyll, a wealthy London merchant who has retired to his estate to enjoy the fruits of a successful career on the stock exchange. He is a man whom anyone might envy, still in the prime of life, enjoying the esteem of all who knew him. 
blessed with the love of a gracious woman and the father of a splendid son. It is Christmas Day, and fires are burning brightly in the vast chimney pieces of the Jekyll House. Snow spangles the trees in the great park surrounding the gardens, and in the clear, crystal air, the chiming of church bells comes clearly from the little village just a mile or so beyond the gates. Harry, Harry, there's Mr. Bunning with his choir. Open the windows, dear, and show him that we're here. All right, Mother. Are you sure it wouldn't be too cold for you? Not a bit. I've got this warm cloak on, and it isn't half so cold now that the sun has commenced to shine. Oh, Father, don't come on with the little Billy Horse. He's playing the corner, and his cheeks look exactly like two duck cheeses. Let's go out onto the terrace and speak to them. Oh, there's Mr. Packer, too. His leg must be better. Well, fancy his being able to walk all this way through the snow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you'd care to step inside, there's a hot punch and some Christmas cake waiting for you. Henry, run and tell your father, dear. He wouldn't like not to be here to welcome them. Do you know where he is? I think he went down to the cellar with Monkton to choose the wines for dinner. Well, I'll go and fetch him then. And I'll go and make sure there's ample cake to go around. And look, there's Mr. Utterson and Margaret just driving through the gates. Oh, isn't that nice? I was so hoping they'd call in today. Uh, tell your father, dear, and then run out and meet them. Oh, I do hope they can stay and have Christmas dinner with us. There's no one I'd rather have than them. Another glass of this port, Addison, before we go into the drawing room. Thanks. I think I will. What a glorious color it has. Fill me a beaker full of the warm south, eh? <sighs> this wine was part of a gift to my grandfather from the Duke of Alba. It's lasted a long time. But I think there'll be sufficient for young Henry to celebrate his Christmases with. How the lad is shooting up. How old is he now? He'll be 12 in April. I'll have to think about sending him away to college soon. He's getting too much for a tutor. You must be very proud of him. But what about your daughter? She's got her fair share of good looks, don't you think? Ah, yes. Margaret's a bonny lass. A very bonny lass. Ah, there are the children outside now. What's that Margaret's carrying? Hmm? Oh, I think it must be the doll my wife got for her last week when we were up in London. A doll? <laughs> Why, from here it looks as large as a real baby. How delighted she'll be. Just look at the way she holds it. Haven't you seen a mother carrying her child that way? And the look on her face. I can see it from here. Purest rapture. Notice the way she walks. She's afraid of slipping on the snow and letting it drop. I've noticed the expression of the little girl's face when she's carrying her doll. Just the same rapt, inward look of utter bliss that a mother has. I really think they feel the same. All of which is quite beyond Henry's scope of understanding. <laughs> look how impatiently he waits for her. The eternal male itching to be off on adventure. with you. I'm coming. I told you you should have left that silly old doll behind. It's not a silly old doll. Yes, it is. Look at its staring eyes. Whoever saw any one with eyes like that? I think they're beautiful. And she's got real eyelashes, too. And they open and shut. And she says, Mama. <coughs> well, you can understand that all day admiring it, so you're going to come with me. Where do you want me to go? Down to Red Hill. Snow's deep there. I gave it a try out after church this morning. The news plays a dream. 
faster than anyone else's by a mile. I don't think I want to go slaying, Henry. What? Before we had dinner, you could hardly wait. Well, I changed my mind. Well, I know what it is. You've got that doll now. What if I have? It doesn't stop you from coming slaying with me. Of course it doesn't. But I just don't want to, that's all. You prefer a silly-looking, waxing-faced image to me, do you? Very well, then. I'll ask those more mother girls. She'll jump at the chance. Ask her. I don't care. Oh, yes, you do. You hate her. I know you do. I saw the look in your face when we were skating together last week. Who? What do I care who you skate with? That's not true. You do care. And if you don't come with me now, I'll ask her to be my partner at the children's party tonight. Very well, then. I shall dance with the squire's son. He's already asked me to. More than once, too. Oh, no, you won't. You're not going to dance with that pimply-faced ninny. He's a very nice boy. He has lovely manners. And he's never rude and horrid like you are. He's got buck teeth, and he bleeds through his mouth like a, a grampus. He's promised to take me to the next other hunt. And I shall probably go and stay at the manor after the new year. You're coming to stay here. I heard Mother ask your father. Papa lets me go where I choose. And you're going to choose to come and stay with us. And you're going to come slaying with me now, do you hear? Indeed. Yes. Come inside and put away that doll. I should think a big girl like you'd be ashamed to play with dolls. I don't, don't care what you think. And anyway, ten isn't too old for dolls. Yes, it is. Phyllis Mortimer's only nine, and she smashed her last doll over a year ago. Phyllis Mortimer's balls and bones. I heard your mother say so. Oh, Margaret, come on. You're wasting the afternoon. Be getting dark soon. Well, I'm not coming, so there. Yes, you are. I'm going to make you. No, you're not. Give me that doll. No! No! Jimmy, stop it! think she's only stunned, Addison. We'll carry her inside. Henry, run and tell your mother. Tell her not to be alarmed. It can't be serious. There are only half a dozen steps. But she struck ahead as she fell. I saw it through the window. Yes, yes, I know. Don't let's waste any time. We'll send for the doctor right away. Oh, my darling, my darling. Oh, God, don't let anything happen to her. My little girl. Oh, Margaret, Margaret. Steady, old man. She's my whole life. If anything should happen, I... I just couldn't go on. She'll be all right in a week or so, just slight concussion, that's all. She's sleeping quietly now, and I, I expect her to wake up almost herself again. Thank you, Doctor. I... I can't say what a relief this is. And these young things are liable to suffer all sorts of mishaps, sir. How did it happen? She... Uh, she was playing with Mr. Jekyll's boy on the top of some steps. I don't know exactly how it came about, but uh, she slipped. Mm, very easily done. The ground like glass after the freeze last night. Well, I'll be getting along. Be down in the morning. Uh, no excitement, man. Oh, we'll see to that. Well, uh, good night, sir. Good night. Good night. Thank you, Addison, old friend. What for? For what you said about the accident. You might easily have said so much more. As far as I'm concerned, nothing more need be said, ever. That's not so. There's something I feel I have to say. Something that I've wanted to say to you for a long time, yet lacked the resolution. Will you sit down with me for a while before we go to Mrs. Jekyll? Why, certainly. Is there something that troubles you? Something that troubles me very deeply. 
Utterson, did you... Did you notice my son's face as he tried to tear the doll out of Margaret's arms this afternoon? You mean just before she fell? Yes, I did. What did you think? Well, to be truthful, there was something on the face of that boy that struck terror into my heart. Oh, no. What's the meaning of it? I've seen it from time to time, and it's always the same. Something so evil, so hideously profane, seems to peer out from behind the mask of his features that I... I can't believe my eyes. You saw it this afternoon? Yes. Has it happened very often? Not more than half a dozen times in his life. The first occasion was when he was little more than two years old. He was playing with his nurse, a woman of whom he was particularly fond. And suddenly I saw the change, and he turned and sank his teeth into her arm until she screamed with pain. We had to almost prise his jaws apart. It was... it was the most horrible thing I'd ever seen. And when did it happen next? About two years later. My spaniel had a litter of puppies. Little soft lumps of silk. Henry was playing with them when suddenly I heard the mother dog begin to wail and Henry laughed. Never as long as I live will I forget that sound. It wasn't the laugh of a child, but that of a fiend. Or as to where he was. He had broken their backs. Every puppy lay dead at his feet. Good heavens. And then another time... Heaven's sake, what's that? That's Henry. He has terrible nightmares after after one of the attacks. I must go to him at once. It's children. Oh, Edward Jekyll, my poor friend. You are indeed in need of help. May God have pity on you. And on your son. gentlemen, we now present George Edwards in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Robert Louis Stevenson startled the world when he gave it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, this masterly portrayal of the warring forces of good and evil forever struggling for ascendancy in every human breast. But the child is ever father to the man. And for that reason, we took you back in our last episode to Henry Jekyll's early boyhood to mark the traces of that strange duality of nature which in after years were to bear such bitter fruits. A simple childish quarrel with Margaret Utterson, daughter of his father's dearest friend, rouses the latent demon in Henry. And the result is an accident which may well have led to tragedy. But Margaret escapes with minor injuries, and that night... His father, Edward Jekyll, reveals to Mr. Utterson the dark forebodings as to Henry's future. 
Some years elapse, and we now see the young Jekyll as a tall stripling of 17, nearing the end of his college days, and to all outward appearances, as handsome and fine a young man as one would wish to see. The scene is the senior's room, and the time, that brief hour between supper time and the evening prep. What do you think, fellas? Markham's been expelled. What? Well, serve him right. He's had chances enough. He knew what he was asking for, breaking bounds like that. But even if he did, it seems a bit hot sending him down for that. It wasn't merely breaking bounds, my little innocent. It was what he did with his illicit liberty. I warned him that the head wouldn't stand for any more little frolics in Thorley Woods. Thorley Woods? What was he doing there? Picking <laughs> blackberries, of course. But, uh, oh, I... shut up, you lot. Well, well, what's the matter with our Mr. Jekyll tonight? Not looking his usual cheery self. Not upset by the sad fate of little Mark the baby Romeo, are you? Well, what are you so smug about, anyhow? Mark's been unlucky, that's all. True enough, my friend. Who am I to cast the stone? Oh, I forgot. Rogers told me the head wanted to see you, Jekyll. Uh, where is he? In his study. All right. Now, don't any of you others pinch my chair while I'm away. You'll be gone for an hour, old chap. No doubt the head wants to get a little guidance from his head prefect on how to put down vice in the senior school. Oh, dry up, Pelton. You're a poisonous toad. Well, at least everybody knows it. Why, what do you mean? Oh, nothing, nothing. Uh, pray allow me to open the door for your holiness to pass through. Don't be an ass. What are you always picking on Jekyll for, Pelton? Oh, he's so confoundedly irreproachable, he gets on my nerves. This fellow's hardly human. Always tops the list in exams. Never misses a class. Has all the blues for sport and I don't doubt kneels down by the side of his blameless bed every night and prays for mere sinners like you and me. He's too good to be killed. Come in. Ah, Jekyll, come in and sit down. Thank you, sir. I, uh, I want to have a talk to you about this affair of Markham's, uh, most unpleasant business. Yes, sir. As head prefect, I repose a confidence in you that isn't shared by the other boys. I... I want your complete frankness, Jekyll. Thank you, sir. I appreciate what you've said. Have you noticed the peculiar change that's come over some of the boys in the senior school during the last few months? In what way, sir? Mm, oh, uh, in a loosening of discipline. A general decline of uh, moral standard. This affair of Markham's is only a culmination of a series of things that have been taking place for some time. Markham was found in Thorley Wood last Saturday afternoon with, uh, with one of the maids from the Horsome Arms, and in a state of, well, one can only call it drunkenness. Markham was? Oh, you find it hard to believe. So do I, Jekyll. But there can be no possible mistake. Mr. Finch, the classic master, was walking through the woods with his wife and... Uh, well, what they saw made it impossible for me to allow young Markham to remain at this college any longer. I see. But Markham was not alone. There was another boy with him, but he was apparently sober and heard the sound of footsteps. He ran away through the undergrowth before either Mr. or Mrs. Finch could see who it was. And Markham didn't say who he was. He refused to say a word. Uh, Jekyll, uh, have you any idea as to who this other boy could be? I, sir? Why, no, I... No, I haven't the least idea. Hmm. I have a feeling that if we could find him, we... We may put our fingers on the cause of all this unpleasantness that's been happening during the past few months. 
A boy like Markham wouldn't have sunk to that sort of thing unless someone had influenced him. Mind you, I'm, I'm not asking you to spy out on your friends, but I do hope I can count on your help in clearing up this matter. Markham's life is ruined. I can't stand by and see other boys destroy themselves without doing everything in my power to stop it. You, you understand, Jekyll? Yes, sir. I understand, sir. We must tamp out this vicious thing that suddenly appeared in the school, as one would put one's heel on the head of a reptile. And with as little pity. Uh, you would not be guilty of treachery, I want to point that out, if you told me anything you knew or suspected. No, sir. I understand that perfectly, sir. Mm, good. Well, I, I can rely on you. Uh, come to me if you have any idea as to who is at the bottom of this, and everything you tell me will be treated with the greatest confidence. You, uh, you haven't any suspicions offhand, have you? No, sir. Not the remotest idea. Why, I can't imagine anyone who could do such a thing, sir. Mm, uh, well, uh, keep your eyes and ears open and report to me immediately. Oh, uh, there's the bell for evening prep. I, I won't keep you any longer. Oh, Jekyll, when do you sit for your exams? Uh, at the end of next month, sir. Mm, I'd be sorry to lose you. I'm going to do medicine, aren't you? Uh, medicine and science, sir. I expect you to do well. You've always been a credit to us, Jekyll. Thank you, sir. I hope I always shall be, sir. Mm, uh, by the way, uh, you might have a word with young Markham sometime this evening. He asked to see you. It mightn't do any harm to talk to him. Where is he, sir? Up in the tower room. I thought it best to put him there, away from all the other boys. I'll see him before I go to bed, sir. And don't forget, report back to me anything of interest he might have to tell you. Good night, Jekyll. Uh, just close the door, will you? Anyway, Jekyll, but it doesn't seem to matter now. Oh, well. I'd just go ahead if it helps. It'll take more than that to help me. You understand what this means, don't you? Yes, I think I do. I wonder. Your people are rich. Mine aren't. It's taken a lot of doing without to send me here. Can you guess what it's going to be like when I have to face them tomorrow? Well, I'll make it up to you. I swear I will. Give me a clean sheet and a chance to start again. I oh, know. Not even all your money can do that. They don't take men into the civil service with a kind of record I'm going to have when I leave here. I've made an unholy mess of things now. I'll suffer for it for the rest of my life. The worst of it is that others have to suffer too. My people are, are old. I'm their only child. They've scrimped and saved to send me to this college. The things I've been going to do, the career I've been going to have has, has been the whole meaning of life to them. Tomorrow when they come here to see the head, they've got to be told it, it's finished. I, I'd rather have died than do this to them. Good Lord, has the world come to an end because you can't go into the civil service? 
how I hate you, Jacob. You're so devilishly clever. Not a single soul suspects you. I suppose the head sent you here tonight to find out who my accomplice was. <laughs> That's funny. That's one secret I can be sure of you keeping to yourself. You're not likely to go down and tell him it was you. Shut up, will you? Shut up. If you keep on shouting at the top of your lungs, there'll be no need to tell him. So you're... You're no more anxious to be found out than I was. Of course I'm not. Who wants to pay the penalty for the sins he commits? But you will, Jekyll. Someday you will. You can get away with it for a long time if you're clever enough. But eventually it'll all catch up with you. <laughs> not me. I'll get away with it always. I'll find a way somehow. I could prove you're wrong right now. How? By going downstairs and telling the head who was with me that day and Thornley would. You? You wouldn't do that, Markham. I'm not so sure that I wouldn't. Why should I take the whole of it? If it hadn't been for you, I'd never have gone there. Never have spoken to those girls, never drunk their beastly wine. But you wouldn't tell the head, Markham. I would, I tell... Good heavens, Jekyll. Why are you looking at me like that? What's come over you? Don't stare at me that way. Your eyes. What's the matter with your eyes? Keep away. What are you going to do? Don't bury your teeth like that. You're a cannibal. Jekyll, don't. Don't. Keep away from that window. Keep away, you fool. He's fallen. Down to the ground, onto the stones. His body's lying there. I didn't, didn't do it. I didn't do it. He jumped of his own accord. I never touched him. What's the matter? What's going on in there? Oh, it's Markham, sir. He threw himself out of the window right before my very eyes. Oh, it was horrible. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Stand back, stand back, boys. My dear Jekyll, this is terrible. What a tragic finish. Sit down in this chair. Oh. oh, get him some brandy, someone. He's going to faint. gentlemen, we now present George Edwards in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There are forces of good and evil in each one of us, but perhaps in few instances so clearly defined as in young Henry Jekyll. During his last year at college, he is instrumental in bringing about the moral downfall of one of his companions. And while he escapes detection, poor young Markham is caught and expelled. 
The boy is broken-hearted over this and bitterly reproaches Henry for the part he has played in his disgrace. High words follow, and Markham threatens to reveal the fact that it is the blameless head prefect, Henry Jekyll, who has really been the cause of his downfall. A cold fury possesses Henry, and his faith undergoes the peculiar transformation that only few have seen. Markham is terrified and backs away. Losing his balance, he falls headlong through the windows of the tower room they are in and crashes to his death on the courtyard below. Henry's paroxysm passes, and he lapses into unconsciousness. Next morning, he receives a visit from the headmaster. Uh, well, Jekyll, uh, how are you this morning? Much better, thank you, sir. Stay in your study if you don't feel up to attending classes, my boy. You had a very nasty shock. Uh, so did we all, for that matter. Shocking business. Absolutely shocking. I think I'll be all right, sir. As a matter of fact, I'd rather not be alone just now. Mm, I can well understand that, my boy. Just as well to keep your mind off things, though. Uh, by the way, I, I don't suppose he gave you any inkling as to who the other boy was with him in Hollywood. No, sir. Not a word, sir. Mm, well, he's taken the secret to the grave with him. One can only hope that this tragic affair will serve as a lesson to the one who's been at the bottom of all this unpleasant business in the senior school. Oh, I'm certain it will be, sir. There'll be no more of it. I can promise you that, sir. I'm sure I hope you are right. The whole thing has been most distressing, and there's bound to be some publicity over Markham's death. Very bad for the school. Very bad indeed. What... What explanation are you giving, sir? There was a meeting of the council to consider the case this morning. We've decided to say as little about the matter as possible. The boys were all called together after morning prayers and put on their honor to say nothing at all of what they knew of the affair of Thorleywood. At the inquest, we shall endeavor to let it be thought that Markham was worried over his failure to pass exams. Oh, that's no more than the truth. He has been working very badly just recently. And his parents, sir? Oh, of course, nothing can be gained by distressing them any more than can be avoided. I shall give them the same explanation. Oh, uh, by the way, Jekyll, uh, if they should ask to see you, would you have a talk with them? Me, sir? Oh, you were the last person to see their son alive. I should think it very likely that they should want to ask you a few questions. If it's absolutely necessary, sir. Come along now, Jekyll. You're taking this thing very much to heart. You mustn't do that, you know. You've got your own future to consider. Uh, you sit for those exams in a few weeks' time. If you let this business prey on your mind, you'll be having a breakdown and... Well, you don't look at all well. Oh, I'll be all right, sir. Good, good. And then I'll tell Mr. Markham that you'll speak to him if he wishes it. Yes, sir, I'll... I'll do anything I can, sir. They tell me, Henry, that you and my son were the greatest friends. Yes, Mr. Markham, we were. We went everywhere together. Oh, I shall miss him. I shall miss him very, very much. Did he... Uh, did he ever say anything to give you any indication that he contemplated taking his life? Never, sir. I think that he might cause you and Mrs. Markham any worry. Ah, yes. Always the most thoughtful and tender of sons. We leaned on him too much, I fear. 
Perhaps we were at fault for letting him see how much we were wrapped up in all that he did. There was just nothing in our lives but him. And now... Mr. Markham, if you only knew what I'd give to be able to help you... Thank you. Thank you, my boy. But grief is a burden no one can carry for us. But I'm glad I've had this talk with you. At least I know what happened right at the end. It was so sudden I... Well, I hadn't time to do anything. He just stood up on the window seat, and the next minute he was gone. Yes, so your headmaster has told me. Well, perhaps someday we shall understand the reason for these things. But just at present it's... Well, it's a little difficult. But I'll go and get his things now. I want to get back home as soon as possible. Mrs. Markham isn't very strong. And the shock of David's death... Well, perhaps... Oh, dear, who knows? Mr. Markham, don't say that. Oh, not... Not David's mother, too. Death is only terrible when you're young, my dear boy. When you're old and tired, like we are. Oh, please don't say that, sir. No wonder you and David were friends. He was sensitive like you. He felt things too keenly. Ah, it's a great mistake, my boy. A great mistake. Well, I couldn't come before. I told you in my letter I might be late. I never would have waited only I've been that worried over you. What happened, Henry? Wasn't it awful about poor Mr. Markham? Bill's been that upset. Now listen, Hetty. If either you or Bill say so much as a single word about being in Forley Wood with us that afternoon, you'll get yourselves into no end of trouble now. Do you understand? How, Henry? David Markham killed himself. And it was directly as a result of being found with Bill. If that comes out, you'll both have to go to the inquest and give evidence. And you'll get your photos in the papers. You'll never be able to hold your heads up in this town again. Why, Henry, how wild you talk. Better me ain't likely to give the show away. But you can see that she's upset. She was fond of him, was Bill. She's talking of going away and getting work somewhere else. Is she? Well, I think that's a very good idea. There isn't much chance for a girl like her in this little place. That's what I always say. If it hadn't been for meeting you, Henry, we, we'd have both been gone long ago. But knowing you is ill. Well, I won't be here much longer. I'll be going on to the university soon. Oh, won't I never see you no more after that? Henry, you won't forget me, will you? Oh, of course I won't. But I won't be able to slip out to this old mill like I've been doing. And I'll be jolly glad of that, too. Or oh, a creepy place it is. If I hadn't have been so fond of you, Henry, you'd never have got me to come here. Funny what a girl would do when she's fond of a man, isn't it? We've never had no good times together. You know what I mean, like going places, seeing theatres and cafes and all that sort of thing. Would you like that sort of thing, Hetty? What do you think? Aren't I human the same as everybody else? Well, suppose I meet you sometime. 
Oh, a long way from here. Maybe we could go round together and not be afraid of being seen. Oh, Henry, do you mean it? Of course I do. Where? Oh, anywhere. London, if you like. London? Oh, I'd love to go to London. I've been wanting to ever since I can remember. But I've always been too scared. Oh, what of? Oh, everything. A girl might have a terrible time in a big place like there. Well, you'll have the time of your life. I'll meet you there and we'll do all the things you'd like best. True? You mean it, Henry? Of course I do. Oh, but when? Oh, after the school year finishes. Uh, you know I can't get away till then. It's about a month, isn't it? Oh, that's a long time. Well, there's no need for you to wait. I've got to work hard anyhow. I won't be able to see you very much. If you like, you can go there now and wait for me. Henry, you ain't trying to get rid of me, are you? Oh, you silly little thing. Whatever put that idea into your head? I don't know, but, but you're bound to want to sometime. Your kind don't stick to girls like me for very long. I'll get along with you. I'm not nearly tired of you yet. It's just that the things are going to be very difficult from now on. You've no idea how hard it was for me to get away tonight. If I got caught, I'd be expelled, do you know that? Would you, really? And you come out just to see me? Yes, so you see, it'd be a good thing if you were right away. I, I wouldn't be tempted then. Do you really love me like that? Oh, Emmy, I'd do anything for you. Well, do as I ask you. Go to London. Look here. Here's some money. You'll only have to manage for a few weeks, and then I'll come to you, and we'll have the most wonderful time in the world. Run your fingers through me here the way you always do, Henry. How soft it is. It curls round my fingers like little live things. Do you have to go for a while? Well, not for a little while. Rest your head back against my shoulder. There. That's right. How soft you are. Are you sure there isn't any letter for me today? I've told you. There's nothing at all. You've got the name right, Eddie Wilson. Do you think I'm likely to forget it? Have you been pestering me for the last three weeks? I'm sorry. Well, are you sure this is the address you told them? Yes, the Charing Cross Post Office. This is it, ain't it? Mm, that's right. Oh, well, better luck next time. Come again this afternoon. Thank you, mister. I will. What's the matter with her? Oh, you see, dozens of them like that wait for letters from someone. Sometimes they get one, sometimes they don't. Looks down on the mouth, doesn't say. Pretty little little thing, too. Comes from the country somewhere. London's full of them. They never learn. Where's your references, my girl? Uh, I haven't got any. Then it's no use you coming here. We never have names on our books unless they have the best references. Thank you. I, I didn't know. Hi, Miss. Young lady, I'll you. What's you like? Archie, come back to the job, eh? Yes, yes, I am. I thought you would. When do you want to start? Any time you like. Oh, then why is it? How long since you ate? Sometime yesterday. Oh, well, go out into the kitchen, get yourself a meal, and then come into me. You know the terms? Yes, I know. Three meals and a bed and five percent. Can you dance? A little. What kind of dances? Oh, the barn dance and the polka. Ah, this isn't the village queen. Ever heard of the can-can? Yeah, but, but I've never seen it done. <laughs> you will. Say, what's her name? Eddie. Eddie Wilson. Oh, we'll forget the second half. The girls here don't need more than one name. Hi, Kitty. What's the matter? Here's a new girl come to take Ruby's place. (laughs) 
Ladies and gentlemen, we now present George Edwards in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. While in his final year at college, the baser side of Henry Jekyll's nature asserts itself, and he induces a younger boy to embark with him on an illicit affair with two girls from the local village. Henry escapes detection, but young Markham is caught and expelled. This ends in tragedy as Markham falls from a high tower during a scene of fierce recrimination between himself and Jekyll. Henry is sick with horror at the results of his deed, but safeguards himself from detection by getting rid of the girl who has been his companion in the escapade, sending her to London with the promise of joining her there later on. This he fails to do, and the unfortunate girl is driven to taking work at a very disreputable cafe in the lowest part of the city. Meanwhile, Henry's college days have come to an end, and we see him at home on his father's country estate. Well, my boy, have you thought how you'd like to spend your holidays? No, father. It's been very pleasant down here. But don't you find it uh, rather quiet? I thought perhaps you'd like to take a run up to London for a while. I'm sure Mr. Utterson and Margaret would be glad to have you come and stay with them. London? No, not London. But why? There are all sorts of things you could find to do there. You've been working very hard at college. Why not have a little relaxation such as theatres and things? Margaret's getting to be quite a young lady about town now. I'm sure she could show you around. Margaret? How old is she now? Uh, Seventeen, is it? Seventeen next month. Oh, she's a very lovely girl, Henry. Yes, very lovely. She came to the inter-college sports. I was the cause of quite a bit of envy from the other fellow. I'm sure she'll be disappointed if you don't go and stay at their place. Oh, please, Father. I don't know why, but, well, I feel I can't go to London just now. The place depresses me. It's, it's so vast, so, so full of human beings struggling and jostling one another. Well, it seems to chill me somehow. There's so much suffering there. So much unhappiness. But you don't want to let these things get you down. Of course there's suffering and unhappiness and poverty and want. There always will be as long as human nature remains what it is. That's it. Human nature. The noble and the base, the ugly and the beautiful. Oh, if only we could change it all. My dear boy, you're not going to try and grapple with the universe, are you? Is this why you're going to take a course in science as well as medicine when you go to the university? Oh, no, I... I don't flatter myself that much. Science attracts me because of the enormous, undreamed-of possibilities it has. Possibilities, yes. But what kind? Everybody knows a lot of good has been done by science, but we owe the implements of modern law to the chemists working in the laboratories, no less than we do the most enlightened discoveries of our age. Oh, that's because we don't know enough. We're just coming out of the jungle, Father, and we're still more than half beasts. But someday man will free himself from the beast and will see a new being arise. A man no longer tormented by the awful conflict of good and evil. A man who, for the first time in history, will be a fully developed human being. And do you think science is going to do it? Well, I'm sure that without science it will be impossible. Other things will help, but science most of all. These are very serious thoughts for a man as young as you, Henry. What made you turn to them? Oh, disgusted myself principally. What? Father, you understand me. You know me better than anyone else. I don't have to explain to you, but... Oh, sometimes I hate myself so much that I can hardly endure the thought of going on living with a creature who can be so vile as I. 
My boy, what's this you're saying? What can you have done? You're not yet 19 years of age. Well, that's it. If I can do these things at 19, what mightn't I be capable of later on? Oh, nonsense. You're run down, been working too hard, and you've got morbid. Then that affair of young Markham... Oh, for pity's sake, don't mention him. Why, what's the matter, Henry? Don't you see? Oh, don't you see? I killed young Markham. You... You what? For the love of reason, what's this madness you're talking about? Markham fell out of the top window of a tower. You saw him. You were standing near the door several feet away. I know, I know, but I killed him just as surely as though I'd taken him in these two hands and and thrust him through the window. You don't know what you're saying. You're, you're imagining all this. Oh, if only I could persuade myself that. I'm haunted by it night and day. His face, his voice, and the cry he gave as he fell. And then... His old father, that tragic face, the hopeless broken voice. I'll carry those things round with me for the rest of my life. Henry, Henry, my son, sit down here and tell me calmly what you mean. What I said is true. You were on the other side of the room when he fell. Yes, yes, I was. You can rest assured of that, father. I didn't push him through the window. But it was because of me... And it was because of me that he was disgraced and expelled. Young Markham expelled? Yes, they hushed it up. But that's the reason he was in the tower room. He was more or less under detention. I can't believe it. What did he do? The things I told him to do. The things I took a hellish delight in watching him do. Oh, Father, what in heaven's name comes over me at times? Why did I want to destroy young Markham? Why did I urge him to respond to all the baser things in his nature and delight in seeing him turn into a kind of beast? Henry, Henry, what's this you're telling me? Oh, the truth, Father, the truth. And there was a girl. A girl called Hetty. And this girl, this Hetty? Well, after the trouble about Markham, I got into a panic. I persuaded her to go away to London. And that's where she is now? Oh, I suppose so. I promised to write to her to send her money. I didn't either. I see. So that's why I can't endure the thought of going there. I had some inquiries made. She's gone from her old address. No one knows where she is. But she's somewhere in that great city. Alone, penniless. And I sent her there. Well, no doubt we can have a trace and do something for her if it worries you. But she'll find some way of looking after herself. That kind of person always does. But what kind of way? Henry, you two sitting here in the dark for. Why don't you light the lamp? Oh, please don't, Mother. No, not just yet. Why, dear, what's the matter with you? You sound quite upset. Well, there's nothing wrong. We've just been having a quiet talk together, that's all. The afternoon mail's just come and there's a letter from Margaret. She's wondering <laughs> if you're coming up to London, Henry. No, no, I'm not. But... Uh, Henry's a little overstrung after all those hard weeks of work for his examinations, Marion. I was going to suggest that we we might go up to Scotland for a week or two. Sir Roland has offered me his shooting box several times. Uh, how would you like that, Henry? Just the two of us? If you like. Oh, I'd like that. I'd like that better than anything else on earth. But Henry, what will Margaret think? She's been expecting you. Oh, let her think what she likes. Nothing on earth is going to get me to London now. <laughs> 
Well, we didn't go out fishing today, Henry, my boy. It's the worst of the coast round here. These storms blow up at a moment's notice. What's that group of people doing down there on the sand? Why, they're watching something. By Jove, I believe there's a boat out there. Can you see it? Where? Just beyond that line of rocks. It's in trouble with the looks of it. A fishing boat from the village, I suppose. Yes, you're right. Shall we go down? I don't suppose we can do anything to help, but one never knows. Well, here's a path down the side of the cliff. I'll go first. Mind you, don't slip. Oh, Lord, to me, to be honest. But it's dashed to pieces they'll be on those cruel rocks. What's wrong? The men out there in trouble? Uh, that they be. Ginny's good man here and two others. They've been battling in the storm this last toil is now and not a bit of headwick in the mist. Oh, it's gone, it's gone, the tail spread. There's not a severance from the rocks. Uh, it's arrested itself, it hasn't it, sunk. Hey, but look, it's heading for them rocks. The wind's catching it, and the wind is dashing over it every minute. Oh. And if you can see them, they're clear to their mast. One should put our runner in his hand. Oh, this is horrible. Can't anything be done to save those men? No boat could live in that sea, Henry. They'll be on those rocks in another few moments. Why, they're on them now. They're dashed to pieces. The poor devils to die like that in sight of their very homes. Surely something can be done. Nothing short of a miracle will save those poor fellows now. Where are all the men? Can't someone take out a lifeline to them? There's naught but oldings and barons in the village today. There's a young and he'll be all war. Oh, where's the lifeline? Have you got one long enough? Henry, what are you thinking of? Is that an over by the boat shed? Aye, that's it. But you'll never think I'm just swimming out in that sea. Oh, bring it down. Hurry, hurry. Henry, you can't. Yes, I can, I can. I've swum in seas like this before. Send those women away. I'm going to strip off my clothes. No. No, no, Henry. Think what you're doing. You can't. You must. Father, this is a thing I've got to do. If I stand by and let them drown, oh, Father, Father, can't you understand? Yes, I... I think perhaps I do. God be with you, my son. God be with you. Oh, sir, sir. How can I ever thank you? And he's a grand young man who wears today. What did the doctor say about him? No bones broken, Jeannie. He's badly bruised and cut about, but it's a miracle how he escaped with so little hurt. A miracle it is. If I'd been an angel of God come down from heaven to save my man on the elder's whim, he couldn't have been more blessed in our eyes. I pray for him. Either I will ever a blessed night of my life, and my bairns too. Can I do anything to help? For boy, I could tend him while he's so poorly. His mother and a friend are coming up from London tonight, thank you, Jeannie. But, but if you'll just pray for my boy, that will be a great thing. I'll tell him when he gets better. I think that he'll be glad to know. Yes. Very glad to know.
Well, I tell you what, I I told a fib. <laughs> um, I think I told you I only had one more to do, but I got two more to do. Um, as I said, please forgive me, folks. I'm recording for the first time by myself, so. <laughs> but uh, this one is strange, Doctor Weird, and it's called the Man Who Talked with Death. And strange, Doctor Weird. It's it's more of a thriller type thing, and uh, I loved it, and I hope y'all do too. So we'll see you when I come back. Adam Hatch presents The Strange Dr. Weird. Good evening. Come in, won't you? Why, what's the matter? Surely you're not nervous. Perhaps it will calm you if I tell you a story. It's a rather odd story about a rather odd individual. You see, he was a morgue keeper. I call his story The Man Who Talked With Death. My story, The Man Who Talked With Death, begins in the city morgue on a raw autumn evening. Two men have just entered the badly lighted basement of the gloomy stone building. I don't know whether it's cold in here or outside. Yeah, where's Pop Hanson? I want to get my pictures. Get out of here. This place gives me the creep. All Pops are around someplace. He probably... Hey, isn't that him? Talk to somebody down there by the ice boxes where they keep us stiff? Yeah. Why, there's nobody there. Pop's talking to himself. Unless he's talking to a ghost. Come on. You see, there is some place else you go on to, but it's not a place you have to be frightened or believe me. Now it's time for you to go. Goodbye, Jean. Goodbye. Hey, Pop? Oh, hello, boys. I didn't hear you come in. Hmm. Say, Pop, who are you just talking to? Oh, that was Jean Williams. She came in last night. What do you mean, she came in last night? I mean her body was brought in. Here, I- I'll show you. There she is. So young and so pretty. No wonder she was frightened when she found she was dead. You say you were talking to her? Oh, yes, Harry. You see, when you die, a part of you goes on to someplace else. But it always stays near its body for a while till it gets used to things. It was that, Jean Williams, I was just talking to, of course. Pop, you've been working down here among these steps too long. You mean I just imagine I talk to them and they talk to me? <laughs> no, Tom. It's really true. Someday you'll know I'm telling the truth. Well, maybe. Let's can the chatter. We want to get the picture of John Wainwright. Wainwright? Oh, yes, they brought him in last night. Everybody who dies a violent death comes here for old Pop to talk to him. Now, here he is. Okay, Harry, get yourself a couple of pictures and we'll be gone. Yeah, it won't take a minute. I sure would like to know who killed Wainwright. The killer didn't leave a clue. Why, it was that young Professor Higgins who shot Wainwright, Tom. Higgins? The pride and joy of the city university? How'd you know? Wainwright told me so himself. Wainwright told you? What are you giving me? It's true. You see, he was a blackmailer and he was blackmailing Higgins' wife. Professor Higgins had to kill him to save her. 
Wainwright told me so just before he left a little while ago. But Wainwright's dead. There's his body right there in the icebox. I know. I explained about that. Oh, you're crazy. But I'm not, Tom. Wainwright even told me that the gun Professor Higgins used is hidden now in the left-hand bottom drawer of the professor's desk in his home out at the university. Okay, Tom, we can now. Just a second. Pop, I don't know where you got your tip, but I'm going to look into this. Oh, no. You mustn't. You see, Tom, the things that the dead tell me, they can't be used in any way by the living. It's too dangerous to the living. They just can't be used. Well, this can if it's true. If Higgins killed Wainwright, and I can prove it, boy, what a story it'll make. No, Tom, you mustn't try to prove it. It'll do you no good. Try and stop me. Come on, Harry. Now, thanks very much, Dean. Goodbye. There you are, gentlemen. You've just talked to the Dean himself on the phone, and he's told you I was playing cards at his home at 11 o'clock last night. Does that satisfy you? Yes, Professor Higgins. Wainwright, Wainwright was shot at 11, so the alibi lets you out. Who in the world ever suggested that it was I who shot Mr. Wainwright? <laughs> Nobody in the world, Professor. It was a ghost. Wainwright ghost. I'm afraid I don't understand. Oh, it's just a gag, Professor. Thanks. Come on, Harry. Let's get back to town. thing was a wild goose chase. You don't mean you really believe that crazy stuff Pop told us about talking to Wainwright's ghost? No, of course not. But I thought maybe Pop knew something and was trying to give us a tip without admitting it. Say, wait a bit. Huh? What is it? Higgins is a smart guy. Maybe that alibi was fake. Oh, now, Tom. Pop said the murder gun was hidden in Higgins' desk. I think we ought to go back and search that desk. Oh, but that's crazy. Hey, Hey, Tom, what are you doing? Just putting on the brakes. I'm going to turn around and go back. Yeah, but the road's all wet here. Hey, Tom, we're skidding. I'll get us out of it. Yeah, there's a hundred-foot drop into the gully there. Hey, look out. Look out, Tom. We're going over. Jump, Tom. While my goose pimples go away and we all wait to learn what happens next, I'd uh, like to ask Dr. Weird a question. Yes, yes, young man. I'm all ears. <laughs> well, point them the other way, please. And answer me this. One of our listeners wants to know why you're on the air only 15 minutes instead of a half hour. If we can scare people half to death in 15 minutes, why take twice as long? <laughs> Very logical, Doctor. The Adam Hat people use similar logic in their business. Take the famous Adam Five, just for instance. Their feeling is, if we can deliver real hat quality for $5, why charge twice as much? And so on with Adam hats in every price range. Every Adam hat might well sell for more. Master craftsmen design every Adam style. Up to the minute in fashion, correct in the best of good taste. Stroll into the nearest Adam hat store and look around a bit. Try on a few that strike your fancy. You'll find perfect fit, perfect style, and perfect price. And Adam does something for a man. Now... Dr. Weird. Now I'll continue my story of the man who talked with death. It's a few moments after the crash, and Tom and Harry are picking themselves off the ground 
on the very edge of the deep gully into which their car has just plunged. Harry! Harry, where are you? Over here. Oh, just making sure I'm still on one pace. Are <coughs> you? I'm all right, I guess. It's a miracle we weren't both killed. Look at the car down there. Folded up like an accordion. Yeah, I got the car door open. I thought we were going over and must have both been thrown clear, but now what are we going to do? We're going back to the university. And we're going to get into Higgins' office and see if the murder gun is really there in his desk. Uh, Pop was just talking nonsense when he said we'd find it there, Tom. Maybe and maybe not. I don't believe in his little conversations with ghosts, but I do believe he knows something. And if he does, I'm going to crack this case. A short time later, Tom and Harry reached Professor Higgins' residence again and gained entrance to his office unseen through an open window. Okay, here's the desk. Which drawer did Pop say? In the bottom left-hand one. Oh, this is the one. It's open. And there is a gun here. Look. Yeah. Forty-five automatic. And Pop was right. You bet he was. And he was also right when he said Professor Higgins shot Wainwright. Higgins faked his alibi. Yeah, I'll get the gun out with No, you. don't touch it. The cops will have to find the gun here in this desk to be convinced it really belongs to Higgins. Yeah, of course. Then let's call him and get him out here. No, no, not yet. We're going back to the morgue and ask Pop a few questions. Back to the morgue? Hey, Tom, listen. You suppose Wainwright really could have told Pop all this after he was dead? Of course not. That stuff of talking to the stiffs is a lot of malarkey. Pop knows something, and he's hiding it. We're going to find out what he knows and how, and then we're going to break the biggest story this town has ever seen. Slipping away in the darkness, Tom and Harry tried vainly to thumb a ride back to the city. In the end, they had to walk the whole distance. And it was well after midnight when they once more stood outside the cold, gray morgue building. Oh, what a night. I've never walked so far in my life. Why do you suppose those drivers wouldn't stop and give us a lift? I don't know. I guess they're afraid of a stick-up. Well, let's get inside and give Pop the old third degree. Yeah, wish we didn't have to. And I hate to go in there again, Tom. This place upset me. Oh, come on. We're the lucky ones. We can walk out again. Hey, somebody's left the door open. Come on in. Tom. Tom, I'm frightened. I don't want to go in there where they keep the bodies. I, I just don't want to. Oh, you're acting like a kid. Now, come on. There's Pop over there by the iceboxes. Oh, Pop! Oh, hello, boys. I've been kind of expecting to see you, too. Pop, we want to ask you some questions. Tom, you went out to talk to Professor Higgins, didn't you? And I asked him not to. I told you it wouldn't do you any good, not any good at all. Oh, but it did. We found the gun just where you said it to be. Boy, what a story this town's going to read tomorrow morning. No, they'll never read it. The Wainwright shooting's never going to be cleared up. It's always going to be a mystery. It has to be that way. <laughs> like fun it does. Pop, how'd you know about Higgins and that gun? Don't you realize yet I was telling you the truth? That Wainwright himself told me after they brought his body here? Tom, I think Pop's telling the truth. Well, you may be crazy, but I'm not. Now, Pop, come clean. I should never have told you, Tom. That caused all your trouble. I'm sorry, Tom. I'm awful sorry, but I warned you not to go, remember? If you hadn't, it would never have happened. What are you talking about? What would never have happened? Tom. I think I know what Pop means. I think I know. Sure you do, Harry. Tom will understand in a minute, too. Look, Tom. 
Look here. Uh, two bodies badly smashed up. Well, so what? Huh? Don't you know now? It's true. Pop really can talk to the dead. He really can. That's why he can talk to us. Harry, get a hold of yourself. What's the matter with Tom? Those two bodies, they're ours. We're both dead. We were killed when our car crashed into that ravine. Pop could talk to the dead after all. At least Tom and Harry found the proof. Very convincing. But if you find it hard to believe, why not drop in at the morgue and see for yourself? Of course, you'd have to go there as a dead body. But we could easily arrange that. And, oh, you're leaving now. Well, perhaps you'll drop in again soon. I'm always home. Look for the house on the other side of the cemetery. The house of Dr. Weird. Okay, everybody. Now we come to the strawberry. The strawberry and whipped cream. And hey, guys, I forgot to put my Sunday together today, but I'm not going to start over and do these all over again. But so. Uh, um, <laughs> anyway, we'll just, uh, pretend I've had my Sunday and, and, and I'll, and I'm putting my strawberry and whipped cream on it now. Well, actually, it has black walnut ice cream in the bottom of it, and it has a banana on top of that, and then it has some chopped peanuts all over that and then it has chocolate syrup all over that and then the strawberry and whipped cream <laughs> uh, so we'll do it that way so anyway uh this one is uh th- this is our strawberry and it's it's called danny k and it's his first show and that's what that's just what it's called first show. Now, if you're not familiar with Danny Kay, which a lot of you may not be, unless you're really die-hard old-time radio fans and you like the classic movies and stuff, uh, Danny was um, he, he was a he was in a lot of musicals and he was a comedian too and that's what his show was it's kind of funny and uh, but uh in usually when he played in the movies he played uh, uh his u- movies would usually be um comic and musical so i hope y'all enjoy this and i hope you enjoy the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that i'm putting in here for you and I'll see you when this one is finished. This is the Danny Kay Show with Eve Arden, Lionel Stander, our very special visiting celebrity, Eddie Cantor, and the music of America's top band, Harry James and his music makers. <laughs> Thank 
Entertainment Tap Blue Ribbon 33 Fine Brews Blended into One Great Beer presents the premiere performance of 33 fine talents blended into one great comedian, Danny Kaye. See, Mr. Kay, that's just what it's going to sound like when you go on the air for us next Saturday night. Now, just sign on the dotted line. Well, gee, thanks, Mr. Paps, but I... Uh, well, I don't know what to say. Well, my boy, you'd better think of something by Saturday night. <laughs> now, Mr. Kay, sit right down here at the desk and sign the contract. Here's my pen. Oh, thanks. Uh, say, what's the matter with the sink? It's foaming. Oh, that's not ink, my boy. I never fill my pen with anything but blue ribbon. <laughs> well, <laughs> this will probably be the first signature in history with a head on it. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Yes, Danny. that's great, oh, Dan. Oh, uh, oh, oh, Mr. Paps. You know Lionel Stander, Ken Niles, and of course you know my manager, Eve Arden. Oh, yes, and I don't want you to cause her any worries, Mr. K. After all, we don't want Miss Arden to harden. <laughs> oh. Uh, you know our orchestra leader, Mr. Harry James? Oh, yes, of course. That's my blow ribbon boy. <laughs> That's very cute, Mr. Paps, and corny. Ah, oh, what a momentous occasion this is. To think that in this little hotel suite, Danny Kay, the party of the first part, and Blue Ribbon, party of the second part, have merged their mutual interests. As for me, I am happy to sanction this union. Habeas corpus. <laughs> well, well, what a brilliant speech. Uh, are you Mr. Kay's attorney? No, I'm the elevator boy here. <laughs> Well, we all have our ups and downs. <laughs> well, Mr. Kay, now that we're officially associated, would you sing me that wonderful little song about all the Russian composers? He means where you rattle off the names of 56 Russian composers in 38 seconds, Danny. Oh, Tchaikovsky. No, no, Harry Tchaikovsky. Oh, how I love those Russian composers. <laughs> There's Malachevsky, Rubenstein, Arensky, and Tchaikovsky, Sapenyakov, Dmitriev, Cherepnik, and Zhinovsky, Kudovsky, Abdubuchuk, Monoyus, Kowaki, Menko, Solovyev, Prokofiev, Tiyomkin, Goroschenko, Deskenko, Winkler, Bortniansky, Rebekov, Felinsky, Desmetr, Valakirov, Zolotorov, and Kuczynski, and Sokolov, and Kopolov, Tukelsky, and Kolovsky, and Shostakovich, Borad, Dinglier, and Novakovsky, Desliadov, and Kargov, Markhevich, Franchenko, and Dargomisky, Cherbachev, Skriab, and Vasilyenko, Stravinsky, Rimsky, Kostakov, Musorsky, and Gretchaninov, and Glazunov, and Cesar, Quick, Alini, Kavlafanov, Stravinsky, and Gretchaninov, Kuczynsky, and Dachmaninov, I really have to stop. The subject has been brought to power up. Got to turn it up. Got to turn it up. I really have to stop. The subject has been brought to power up. Wonderful, Mr. K. Wonderful. Now, uh, singing and comedy are fine in their place, but as for me, there's no greater symphony than a smooth-flowing series of pear-shaped words about the product, <laughs> oft-times crudely referred to as a commercial. <sighs> oh, uh, Mr. James, before Mr. Niles proceeds, would you be so kind as to blow us a short fanfare? Gladly, Mr. Paps. It's a pleasure, Mr. Paps. It's an honor, Mr. Paps. Also a living, Mr. Paps. <laughs> 
Go ahead, Mr. Isles. Uh, thank you. Pabst Blue Ribbon is more than just another beer. It is the blended beer, full flavor blended from no less than 33 fine brews. Please, Mr. K. The Pabst Blue Ribbon process of full flavor blending ensures the even goodness and depth of flavor that sets this famous beer apart. Please, Mr. K. So order it with confidence. Serve it with pride. For there is no finer beer, no finer blend than Pabst Blue Ribbon. Mr. K, show me where it says in the contract. Hey, Ken, answer the doorbell, will you? Right. Oh, I wonder who that can be. Well, well, Eddie Cantor. What are you doing here, Eddie? Shh. Is it too late? Huh? Has Danny K signed his contract yet? Yeah, he just signed it. Too late. What am I going to tell the boys? The boys? What boys? Jack Benny, Bob Hope. You see, we drew straws and they left it up to me. Eddie, what are you talking about? Niles, don't be a child. Danny K is creeping into our racket. <laughs> I'm going to frighten that guy so much when I get finished with him, not only will he be through in radio, he won't even go back to pictures. Oh, now, Eddie, you wouldn't do a thing like that. What do you mean? This guy's got talent. We're in a spot. <laughs> Remember, I've got a big family, five children so far. <laughs> I know, but Eddie... Out of my way. uh, Just watch me go to work on him. Well, Danny, my pal! Oh, hello, Eddie! Eddie Cantor! Gee, Eddie, I just signed my radio contract, and I don't know anybody I'd rather tell the good news to than you. Well, Danny, now that you're going to be on the radio, remember, you're going to be a big man, and big things are going to happen to you sooner than you think. Look, we'd better, we'd better have a heart-to-heart talk. Just the two of us. If you folks don't mind, you Not might. at all. Come on, gang. We'll leave Mr. Anthony and his latest problem child alone. <laughs> now, Danny, you know that I've always felt like a father toward you, and I hate to harp on this, but there's... Look, Eddie, I've told you a thousand times, I like your daughter, Janet. <laughs> But I don't want to get married yet. No, 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 no. It's not about Janet, Danny. I'll try, try her on somebody else. But look, what I want to tell you... Danny, look. Do you remember when you were 17 and your father called you in the other room and talked to you? You mean to say there's more? <laughs> no. Listen, I'm talking about radio. Oh, oh, radio. Say, Eddie... Do you have to hold me on your knee while you're talking to me? Look, Danny, I want to tell I want to tell you something. There's nothing to radio. Of course, you'll have to learn a new technique. You'll have to learn how to talk into that microphone. New technique? I mean, you'll have to find out how to talk into the microphone. Of course, you'll catch on as soon as you learn how to breathe. <laughs> I breathe in and out. Is there another way? No, no. Let me explain it to you, Danny. Just pretend that I'm a microphone. Talk into my face. Go ahead. Talk into your face? Sure. Use me for a microphone. Oh, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Danny Kay speaking, and I... What, what's the matter now? You, you, your face scares me. You too? Yeah. Can I try talking to the back of your head? There, you see? You're going to pieces already. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made up such a bad joke. Oh. But you'll be all right. Just never mind what they tell you. Who tells me what? Never mind. Just don't listen to them. Why should I never mind not listening to who telling me what, Eddie? <laughs> All those things you hear about radio comedians like Fred Allen is nervous, tired, looks terrible. I've known Fred for years. He's always looked that way. 
<laughs> Eddie, do you mind if I sit back on your knee? Not at all, Danny. You've got the right idea. Save your strength, baby. Look. Uh, by the way, who is your psychiatrist? <laughs> Psychi- I, I, I don't have any psychiatrist. I've, I've got a doctor. Just a plain doctor? Who is he, Danny? Oh, you wouldn't know him, Eddie. He's just a young fellow starting out. Oh, well, maybe it's better that way. A young fellow's ambitious. He won't mind getting up all hours of the night. All hours of... You, you mean I'll be calling him all hours of the night? Not necessarily. Some nights you won't get to the phone in time. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't worry. Your attendant will take care of you. Who's got an attendant? Well, you better get one. After all, if you get it on the street, who's going to carry you home? <laughs> if I get what on the street? You know, that buzzing in the ears oh. and you strangle a tight feeling oh, like you're hanging. No. The bells start ringing all the time, uh, clanging, clanging oh. in your head. But, Eddie, why should I get buzzing and clanging? Who says you should? It could take some other form, like when you close your mouth. You pull your eyes open and your tongue drops out. <laughs> Eddie. Eddie, I'm getting frightened. Frightened? Have I said anything, Danny? You... <laughs> Don't start reading meanings into things. I'm your pal. Yes, yes, yes I no, no, no. You can be on radio and still be healthy. Look at me. Sound as a dollar. Ah! <laughs> Eddie! 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 Eddie, what's the matter? Why? Nothing, nothing. Why? Why do you ask? Why? Well, why do I ask? You just screamed. You went, Bow! Oh, that. I do that every half hour. Oh. <laughs> I used to do it every 20 minutes, but the doctor's curing me. Pretty soon, I'll be doing it only once a day. <laughs> only once a day. Well, Danny, I have to run along. Well, so long, Danny. So long, get in. Thanks for coming over. Well, goodbye, son. Bye, Eddie. <laughs> Bye. Clanging in the head, buzzing in the ears, doctors, attendants, microphones. Is it worth it? No, I won't do it. My health. I'm dying. No, no, I don't care what they do to me. Sue me. Put me in jail. I'll run away. I'll hide. That's what I'll do. I'll hide. Let me out of here. Hello? Oh, it's you again, Mr. Paps. Yes, Mr. Paps, I know the program goes on tonight. I've been trying to find Danny for the last three days. I've called every screwy place he hangs out. The planetarium, the fire station, Snack Wazzle's olive stuffing factory. <laughs> what? Well, he likes to see them shove the pimentos in, that's all I know. <laughs> okay, Mr. Paps, all right. I'll try some more places. Oh, there's just a chance he might be here. Hello. County Fish Hatchery. Max Barracuda speaking. Uh, listen, Max, is there a tall blonde fellow standing by the guppy tank watching the guppies gup? Sorry, lady. Danny Kay ain't been in yet. Oh, all right. Thanks, Max. Now, where else could he be? Oh, I know. I forgot all about it. Hello, Ritz Carlton Canine Cabanas, every room with a bone. <laughs> oh, quiet, 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 you darling. Quiet, quiet. Daddy's on the phone. 
Well, now, what can I do for you? Oh, I called to inquire about Danny Kay. Oh, Danny Kay, Danny Kay. Let me see. Was he to be pedicure, defleed, or wormed? <laughs> All three. Oh, I mean, you you misunderstand. Danny Kay is a man. Uh, oh, that's too bad. Such a lovely name for a cocker. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, isn't it? Fresh. Where, oh, where is that guy? Come in! Oh, Lionel, it's only you. That's what everybody says. Why is that? Oh, never mind that. Have you found any trace of Danny? How should I know? I'm just the elevator boy here. I don't pry into people's private business around a hotel. Oh, yeah? I wish I had a nickel for every time you got your head caught in a transom. <laughs> boy, is that painful. Remember the night it was left dangling? <laughs> Now, enough of your adventures, Huckleberry Finn. Where's Danny? Well, don't just stand there with that dumb look on your face. What dumb look? This is my smartest expression. You know, Lionel, I've got a hunch Danny's right here in this hotel. You have? Yeah, but where? I've searched every place but the steam room. Oh, you're not going down there, are you? Of course. You hid him in the steam room. I'm going down there right now and drag him out. But Eve, he hasn't got any clothes on. Well, I have. Come on. <laughs> Danny Kay, I'm asking you for the last time. Are you coming out of that steam room or not? Or not. Danny, don't be ridiculous. Do you realize that your radio show goes on the air in just five seconds? Five seconds? Hey, Oscar, turn on the radio. I want to hear my program. Okay, Mr. Kay. Yes, folks, here's the premiere of the Danny Kay show. But I regret to inform you that our star, Danny Kay, is unable to appear tonight due to a sudden illness. However, we are fortunate indeed to have in his place Danny's dear friend and colleague, who has so graciously volunteered to fill in for him, Eddie Cantor. Eddie Cantor? Yes, Eddie Cantor. <laughs> and here he is now, that funny man of stage, screen, and radio, Eddie Cantor! <laughs> Just listen to the laughs he's getting with nothing. And he scared me away from radio. <laughs> oh, that was wonderful, Eddie. Wonderful. Well, Ken, I'm never too busy to step in for a friend. The show must go on. And if you're listening, get well, Danny boy. <laughs> I'm well right now. Oscar, call a cab. And now let's listen to America's top band, Harry James and his music makers, as they play Two O'Clock Jump.
Well, here I am, everybody. Here I am. I finally made it. Better late than never, eh, Mr. Paps? <laughs> That maxim hardly holds true in this case, Mr. K. You've left us all in a terrible lurch. Now, just a minute, Mr. Paps. If you only knew what I've been through, you'd be nursing my wounds, offering me transfusions. Just what have you been through, Mr. K? Well, I'll tell you what I've been through. I left for the studio bright and early, and all of a sudden, eight or ten fellas sneaked up behind me with a blackjack. Ten men with one blackjack? Oh, it was huge. <laughs> and you know something? Annie, I was... Annie, my friend, my pal, where have you been? Are you all right? I'm doing the broadcast for you. Lie down, baby. Yeah. Lie down. I'm not tired. I heard you coming over. Got some big laughs, too. Big you? laughs, he says. They were a very tough audience. Oh. <laughs> well, I got to get back on the stage. I'm on again in a minute. You're on again? Yeah. What's wrong with me? I'm here now. Quiet. Mr. Niles is getting ready to speak. I want to hear every word of this. But, Mr. Paps, I want to go out there. I want to entertain. This is my song. Quiet. But I can tell them about Paps' blue ribbon and the 32 brews. Mr. K, Paps contains 33 brews. Uh-uh. Drop the brew. <laughs> Mr. Niles is about to start. The Paps blue ribbon process of full flavor blending with no less than 33 brews... See? ...ensures the matchless taste, flavor, and quality that is found in this fine beer. How true, how true. So order it with confidence and serve it with pride. You can say that again. Order it with confidence and serve it with pride. <laughs> but no matter where you go, there is no finer beer, no finer blend than Paps Blue Ribbon. No, Mr. K. Go out and top that if you can. Uh, oh, uh-huh. All right, I'll go out. I'll go out there and do something. But, Danny, Danny, the show's about over. About over? But what became of the play we were going to do? I cut out the play. There aren't any actors here to do it with you. Oh, well, then I'll play all the parts myself. What is... All the parts yourself. The girl, the lovers, the butler, the father, yourself. Are you crazy? Yes. <laughs> now I'm going to do the play. A little music, please. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we present the dramatic, gripping, gripping story of Ingrid Knucklemeyer, girl grandfather. <laughs> Here she is. Oh, what to do? What to do? I don't know whom to marry. Pierre Gaston, a Butch McGillicuddy. Some problem, I mean it. Well, Lancashire or the Worcestershire, upon my word, pip pip what's a, it's right. Meadows, I think it's time to burp the baby. Very good, sir. Oh, that must be Pierre. Woof, 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 woof. Quiet, Herman. Darling, oh, mon amour, je la crois ta rentre sur la terre, je plus et je crois la faire en beurre, je ne crois. Oh, Pierre, how décolleté. Quiet, Herman. Oh, hello, Butch. I want you to meet Pierre. Oh, Monsieur Butch, je la crois ta rentre sur la terre, je la crois ta pape bleu ribbing, ou je la trois son père. Ah, chère. Quiet, Herman. Je le crois ta rentre sur le plaisir. Gerrararara. Enough, enough, I say. You are speaking of the man I intend to marry. Marry? Are you kidding? I mean it. No. Yes, yes. No, no. We. No, yes. Woof, woof. No, yes. Woof, no. We, woof. No, yes. What do you say to that? I don't know. I lost my place here. Oh, oh, oh. I got it. 
Oh, you can't marry this man. But why not, Butch? You have forced my hand, but now I must tell you, I am not Butch McGillicuddy from Brooklyn. You mean? Yes. I am really Investigator Patrick Clancy of the FBI. <laughs> no! Yes. Better known as Hootermetagasermetagas Scotland of Scotland Yard. <laughs> and Charlie Tarn of Tiny Constabulary Hall, I say so. Well, I'm still marrying Pierre. Again, you force my hand. What? Exactly. Pierre Gaston is not really uh, Pierre Gaston. He is Hasmura Toga Kosuno Roto, so loco, the Japanese spy. <laughs> Pierre, Pierre, tell him he lies. So, Sally, Marshally, please to see I have the wallawa in my sleeve. Walla, so, tomba, Oh, 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 oh. Stand back, please. Hold up, handies. If you move, I shoot. If you shoot, I move. Oh, oh, oh. Quiet, Herman. leave of the simple home of the Knucklemires. Until we all meet again, let us remind you that all's well that ends. Well? <laughs> very good, Danny. Very good. Excellent, in fact. But I still don't think you topped the commercial. Uh-huh. Well, then suppose I uh, sing something. Say, an old favorite of mine, like uh, Minnie the Moochie. Oh, goody. Can I join in the answers? Yes, of course. I want you, the orchestra, the audience here, and the audience listening at home, all to join in. I'll be the conductor, and when I beckon, I want you all to unleash your golden throats and shout back at me. Will you? Shall we start the dirty work, Harry? <laughs> Folks, here's a story about Minnie the Moocher, a regular gal with a solid future. She was the sweetest and the neatest frail, but Minnie had a heart as big as a whale. A hidey, 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 Oh, 
Pabst Blue Ribbon. Go ahead. This endless story and it ends my song. She was just a good girl, but they don't Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and before we close up shop, I want to thank my friend Eddie Cantor for dropping in and making fun with us. Thanks to you, Eddie, to Pabst, and to all the people listening in. Uh, you're very welcome, Danny, but how do you know anybody who is listening? Well, I do. What? <laughs> oh, what a gruesome thought. Eddie, do you think maybe no, Pabst... No, no, Danny, look, I was only kidding. The whole thing was a joke. Don't be afraid of a listening audience. I promise you, as long as you're on the air, a good part of America will be listening to you every week. Good luck, Danny, and may this be the beginning of a long and successful career for you. Good night, all. Good night. Next Saturday, same time, same station, another great Danny K show with Eve Arden, Lionel Sander, and the outstanding music of Harry James and his music makers. Eve Arden appears through the courtesy of Warner Brothers. This program was directed by Dick Mack and was brought to you by the Pat Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Peoria, Illinois. Okay, guys and gals, and doggies and kitty cats, or whatever we got out here listening today, um, this is Arts for today, and I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you'll um, put some comments in the comment boxes, and um, let me know how you like it, and what you like or don't like, or what you'd like to hear, and um, so, uh, and if I don't have it in my collection, I'll try to get it, because I'm always coming up with new stuff, um, But, oh my goodness, I've got to stop this. Anyway, before I go, I want to make sure that you have our contact information and so that you can um, email us or Facebook us or Twitter us or whatever you want to do. Um, if you contact us on 
Facebook, it's um, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? Uh, that's the Facebook page. Um, the same for YouTube, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? Um, if you want to tweet us, we are at Blind Who's, B-L-I-N-D, Who's, W-H-O-S-E. That's one word. And I feel like I'm leaving out one. Um, but if you want to email me, you can email me at Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday at gmail.com. I had to think about that one a minute. I haven't had it long. <laughs> so that's Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S U N D A E, like ice cream, at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to write to Victor, you can write to him at uh, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway at gmail.com. And uh, if you, oh, Lordy mercy, I was about to give you my home address. How crazy. <laughs> and I think, let's see, have I forgotten anything? I don't think so. But I hope you enjoyed the program as much as I enjoyed doing it. Um, I had kind of a rough start to my day, but I'm fine now. And I look forward to seeing you guys next time. So for now, this is Pepsi Mama saying bye. And y'all have a great weekend or whatever you got going on. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.